Hey everyone, I'm Joe Russo. And I'm Anthony Russo. We're the directors, and we're here with... Chris Marcus. And Steve McFeely, and we are the screenwriters of Avengers Infinity War. This is the audio commentary for that film. We're going to try to avoid talking about how tired we are. But we're tired. Yeah. Uh, this I feel is, I'm actually renewed energy. Nice. This was an amazing surprise, by the way. And we had this idea very late in the editorial... Uh, to ask the amazing uh, Sir Kenneth Branagh to come in and do the opening distress call over the logo that carries us and sets the stage. It carries us into the scene with uh, with Thor and, uh, and Thanos and Loki on the Ark. This is a movie that uh, starts immediate rest, right? Like we, it's so packed, it's so jam packed with stuff that um, you have to use even the opening credits to to tell story. Yeah, well, that was the intent. We, right, we had done several iterations of the script over mm. about a year and a half, two years. Very early on, deciding to turn it into a sort of smash-and-grab heist movie, told from the point of view of the lead villain, who's Thanos. And we wanted to keep the plot very simple, with very simple MacGuffins, because we have so many characters in the movie that we knew if the plot was complicated, it would take too much story real estate to explain the plot. And that would take away from the character interactions, which right. we knew would also be the highlight yeah. of the film. It gets complexity by weaving of simple plots. Mm -hmm. The plot itself is very simple. Yes, yeah. he's he's got stones. He needs to collect the stones. Yeah. And this, the, you know, a lot of people will be surprised to know that this is the ship at the end of Thor Ragnarok that the Asgardians escape on. Even in death, you have become children of Thanos. I think there's a good example of, uh, of how things change tonally when you go from movie to movie and story yeah. to story. You know, this uh, ship in Ragnarok was very brightly colored. You know, it had the vibrancy and whimsy of that film, which worked so very well there. We are telling a very different story here. So we uh, redesigned it with a different texture and tone to support this story. Moral of the story being, never have the Russos redecorate your house. No. <laughs> we'll burn it down. And it's also an example of, we're starting this script in uh, December, well, say January of 2016. There's no Ragnarok script. There's, uh, you know, they're in various stages of development. And so, you know, the first uh, scene of this movie changed a bunch. And until we figured out that they were going to end on a trip you know, off of a destroyed Asgard, uh, we didn't know where Thanos would, would find we Loki. We did know, I mean, we did know we wanted Thanos to come to Loki. Right. And we would find him in any, we have drafts of him in any number of places. <laughs> That's right. And the concept being, of course, that the movie is told, and we've talked about this, uh, that it's told from the point of view of Thanos. Mm -hmm. Movie begins with Thanos, movie ends with Thanos. And, well, it's, uh, his, it's his hero's journey. It is his yeah, hero's journey. That's the only way we could figure out how to put everybody in the movie. All the major beats of the journey yes. are, are, uh, are Thanos beats. Including yeah. his ultimate sacrifice with which, Gamora Which and must the be said would never have worked without Josh Brolin, without Dan DeLue, yep. making Thanos come to life. Yes, I mean, this was, that was, we should talk about the VFX mm. department. Um, yeah. And Dan DeLue, who did an amazing job on this movie. We knew that we were sunk if we couldn't get Thanos to um, uh, be photoreal uh, and to get all the nuances of, uh, of Josh Brolin uh, uh, into that character. So I think, you know, they've, they literally are playing with technology that's mapping him to the, right. to the molecular level, uh, and, uh, which is why I think um, uh, Thanos is uh, so interesting in the movie is that uh, 
all of the subtleties of Josh's performance are coming through in his face and his body. And he got the benefit of a lot of work ahead of time, right? There's the, people are working on how to create Thanos before there's even an outline because yeah. we know that he's going to play a major part in the movie. Yeah, he's never gotten that uh, attention before. Yeah, I think we probably this spent two years working on Thanos. The first uh, visual effects test mm -hmm. in the development stage was Thanos because, again, we knew it was so central to what the movie needed to be and also its level of difficulty was the highest. And here you see the, the early establishment of just how fearsome Thanos mm -hmm. is even without He's got one stone here, but I don't think he's using it. He's not using it. Right. This is to show that Thanos, the Genghis Khan of the universe, is unbeatable in one-on-one -on -one, uh, battle. He's conquered thousands of worlds. Uh, he's much more polished fighter than the Hulk, and he dismantles the Hulk fairly quickly. And Thor. Mm. And Loki. We always say that scenes need to do more than one thing. And in this movie, you know, more so than any other I think we've done, the real estate is precious. So this is a scene that establishes Hulk's journey. You know, He's been defeated and doesn't particularly want to help Banner over the course of the movie. It establishes a vengeance story for Thor by taking out his brother and arguably his best friend. Um, it establishes the plot for Stone Collection. And I will say, just to interrupt that uh, we just had a callback to what had once seemed like a bit of a pace job, which was, and excuse me, to mourn Idris Elba. Yeah, here's the, here's the uh, In Avengers 1, where Thor comes back saying that uh, Odin used all his dark magic to get me home, and people said, oh, that was just a, a cheat because you broke the Bifrost, and you just saw where the dark magic came from. Straight out of Heimdall. Now we should talk about the deaths in this film. Obviously, I think we're all very committed to stakes. We've said before that we feel like nothing has value unless it has an ending. That this movie uh, represents the final chapter of, of a book that's been told over the last 10 years in the Marvel Universe. Part of what we wanted to do out of the gate was to unsettle you as you're watching the film. You're sitting in the theater thinking, most characters uh, in the Marvel Universe have been safe for a decade and we wanted to um, knock you off kilter and, uh, and make the audience understand that, uh, that the stakes were going to be significant and the cost was going to be very high in the movie. Mm. And in, in that regard, this scene does away with a lot of things from the ongoing MCU. That was the first MacGuffin from the first Captain America movie just got crushed and stuck into a glove. Bye-bye, Tesseract. Right. And shortly, the Are villain the, from the first Avengers right, movie. Arguably the best villain in the MCU. Will achieve a similar end. You know, aside from establishing, you know, introducing Thanos as our, as our sort of lead and POV in the movie, this movie, this scene also very heavily kicks off Thor's arc in the film, who arguably right. may have, like, the second most complete hero's journey in the movie. I would argue that it correlates, right? And then mm -hmm. if, if Thor much. actually had put the... Uh, the axe in Thanos' head that the movie would have belonged to Thor, but mm -hmm. he did not, so right. the movie goes to Thanos. The one thing that's wonderful, you know, one thing I think we all really responded to about Thor is where he's left at the end of Ragnarok with the destruction of Asgard. 
And we all have a history, obviously, with the Captain America character. And I think there's an interesting connection in that Cap was also a character who lost everything. And there's mm -hmm. something fascinating about exploring these people as you strip away who they are their, and their built-out identities and, and find out what's left. And I think we we're going through a very similar process with Thor in this movie, uh, especially with this scene. We're sort of completing the experience that uh, Ragnarok brought to Thor in, in, in the sense that we're taking the rest of everything away from him, mm -hmm. everything that remains. And it's a very, uh, he's starting with nothing after that point and trying to climb his way back. It's a very underdog arc, very rousing arc, I think, that he, that he road that he follows, very empathetic. And here, the great Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, Tom did an amazing job with this scene. It's heartbreaking to watch. Uh, Thanos is violent and cruel. It's interesting because as Thanos moves forward in the film from this moment, once he disposes of his armor, he almost becomes a holy warrior mm -hmm. where he doesn't spend a lot of energy intentionally trying to murder people unless they're in some way a threat to his agenda. But almost no one ends up being a threat to the agenda except for Tony, who I think feels he feels has this sort of existential connection to Thanos, and uh, we'll get to that when we get to that scene, mm -hmm. but it's the one moment where he is actively since, you know, brutally murdering uh, Loki uh, for disobedience, where he actively is going to uh, murder someone for standing in his way. Of course, he sacrifices Gamora, but that is to obtain the, uh, the Soul Stone. And remember, you know, he had a relationship with Loki, even if it was off screen, where he entrusted mm -hmm. him with a, a duty in yeah. Avengers 1, and uh, uh, Loki failed, so. Yeah. He's making him pay. Yeah, Thanos mm -hmm. has a long memory. Yeah, fair enough. And then the, uh, you know, uh, tragic um, uh, journey that begins for Thor right. starts here. And we should say several Asgardians have escaped. Several Asgardians mm -hmm. have escaped. Uh, I, uh, I've gone on record saying that uh, Valkyrie has escaped with uh, some of the Asgardians. Mm -hmm. All I can say is pray for Korg. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the arc that Thor's hero's journey has it started in all of his previous films. It includes the death of his mother, death of his father, yeah. uh, death of his sister, and now the death of his brother and the death of his best friend Heimdall. That is what uh, motivates his arc in this movie. He's on a revenge arc, and you know his job is to, uh, is to create the weapon that, we, that the audience hopefully believes will uh, ultimately defeat Thanos. I wouldn't say no to a tuna belt. There's an immense amount of architecture and heavy building, there are certain small lines that appear in the first draft that stay throughout, and I wouldn't say don't have a tuna melt, Strange. has been there since the beginning. Inexplicably. But that's yeah, an example so of, um, uh, and we've said this before, that this is not a movie that you know does five and ten minutes of um, what the Avengers are doing before the story comes to them. So uh, I can th only think of these two beats really early on, where we catch Tony and Pepper in the park, and we catch uh, Strange and Wong about to get a sandwich, and that's it. And everybody else comes uh, into the story when, the, when yeah. the story is asked for them, yeah, right. right? We tried versions where uh, we got a lot of uh, people and their daily lives catching up on people, and it, this movie didn't couldn't support no. that. Thanos is moving too fast. Yeah. Relentless pacing, viscera. Yeah. yeah. Morgan. Morgan. So you 
happen. You know, it's interesting. We had a phrase in the room that we would call strange alchemy. And it's not in reference to Dr. Strange, but in reference to the word strange. So call it weird alchemy, uh, peculiar alchemy, interesting alchemy. Uh, We knew that this movie in particular, being a crossover event, that what would be some of the most entertaining stuff in the movie is how these characters who have never interacted before would interact. And this is, in fact, the first scene where you get to see a Mm cross-pollination of characters. Uh, So a lot of the work that we would do, the four of us in the room together, would be talking about what are the interesting combinations Mm -hmm. uh, between characters. Well, Tony Stark is a a man of science and a narcissist. Uh, Doctor Strange is a man of magic and a narcissist. That seems to be a very compelling uh, conflict uh, of personalities there. And it's in contrast to perhaps the oldest relationship in the MCU, Mm -hmm. right? Tony Pepper. Right. And two out of the three of those have amazing goatees. I'm sorry, you giving out tickets or something? We need your help. Look, it's not overselling it to say that the fate of the universe is at stake. And who's we? I should say no shit, Sherlock. Oh, my God. Everybody's really want, everybody really wants that joke. Why didn't you reference it? It's a meta joke that yeah. requires you to <laughs> yeah. be a fan of other movies. It's also a very obvious joke. Mm. Yeah. Not that we can't be accused of having made obvious jokes before. Oh, sure. But, but I guess uh, it is our movie, so mm. <laughs> we can pick and choose the obvious jokes we want to put in so it. So we have exposition now and again, right? Mm. Uh, this is a movie that rewards your investment. If you know the other movies, I think you have a greater chance of being delighted by it. Uh, if you're fresh to these movies, we need to hold your hand a little bit early on and tell you about the stones and what they might do and how valuable they are to the story. And what better way to do that than through magic? Right, mm. right. Now, what's interesting also in the film is that two of the characters that the audience um, ostensibly cares a lot about are carrying around Mm. stones. So they're MacGuffins, Doctor Strange being one, Vision being the other. Had uh, we invented the idea of Infinity Stones in a vacuum, I'm sure we would not have decided there were six of them. Yes. Uh, Six MacGuffins is a lot for a story. Uh, uh, we should talk about why, why did we decide to push uh, Xandar off screen. Oh, yeah. We wrote versions of Thanos attacking Xandar, and it had a similar purpose in the script to what Nowhere does now. It was a place where Thanos and Gamora encountered each other. But the fact of the matter is, you know exactly what... If Thanos went to Xandar to get that stone, you know what happened. It was a big battle. And he got it. It was an attempt to not be repetitive. Yeah. We decided to cut it from the script. And as you said, start in the middle of the story. And make every stone collection an emotional moment. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's because there's a person who's either wearing one or has one in his head. And sometimes it's because of who Thanos encounters there. What you have to do to get it, who you might have to sacrifice, etc. So it was always, as you said earlier, scenes need to do more than one thing. And and every stone collection scene is going to be plot-based, but we wanted them to be deeply character-based, too. And speaking of character, we are about to get to a long-standing character conflict built from another little movie we did called Civil War, which is Tony is about to realize that the one person who could help him is the one person he least wants to talk to. And he luckily world. carries around the burner phone. It is convenient that he flip keeps While it charged. Jogging, yeah. Fully charged. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, wait, well, to be fair, we did have another scene uh, between Pepper and Tony that 
mm. illustrated where the phone came from. That's right. Mm. Uh, but uh, it was a reshoot scene that we then opted to revert back to the right. park scene with. So Also, to be fair, if, any, if Captain America had given any of us a burner phone to oh. call him, I th- I'm sure yeah, he was not yeah, going no, in my sock job. drawer. Yeah. <laughs> and just to, to sort of underline between lines here, um, when he says Steve might be able to help, it's because Tony knows that Wanda is on the run with Steve, and he knows that Vision has been stepping out and maybe having a relationship with Wanda, right. and he has been cool with that and probably not called Vision to task for it. Mm. So uh, Tony knows a lot here, even if we don't sort of make that clear to the audience. Yeah, Tony's yeah. too intelligent and has too big of an e- ego to be a stooge to the government. He will take what, whatever byproduct came out of Civil War and use it uh, to his own advantage, uh, and to keep the Avengers alive in a way that he feels like, you know, is is the less the compromise, the better for him. So I think, uh, you know, he has not been actively pursuing bringing Steve Rogers and Natasha and uh, and Sam and, uh, and Wanda to justice. He has, in fact, been turning the other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not at the moment, no. So this may be hard to believe, but we've shot this whole mm-hmm. one or long one or shot on the lot at Pinewood Studios in Atlanta. With green screen. Do you want to talk about some of your influences here in, in um, sort of designing this? Yeah, it was a, uh, you know, the, the idea here was to embed you with the characters uh, to heighten the tension as they move up the street. Uh, also to ground the film and present this really... Um, giant spaceship in a way uh, that uh, that came from your point of view and the, and the character's point of view collectively. I would not deny that uh, that Spielberg was a, uh, a, a big influence on, uh, on this sequence. He's pretty good. And here now, we, we get have. asked about this all the time. How do we get the uh, the hair? We finally revealed oh, Tom yeah, Holland's I, arms I never stand asked. up. <laughs> well, we, we, in, in, we reve- in our New York Times anatomy of the mm. scene, we finally revealed. A lot of people think it's a CG shot, but it was actually achieved by a very gentle blowing on Tom's ear. <laughs> <laughs> here we see Peter Parker upgrading his uh, web shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a uh, Stark Tech appeal to it. Wraps onto his wrist. Uh, and again, here we go. We're adding characters to the story. Thanos is the glue that uh, that binds them, and he's pulling all of the characters towards the uh, the stones. Doctor Strange's power level. We could talk mm-hmm. about and from the books as a kid. What I loved about Doctor Strange is that uh, he always had a mystical, spiritual side to him that seemed to know more than all the other characters. Mm-hmm. And I found that very entertaining. And, you know, we wanted to advance his power levels sure. uh, since the end of Doctor Strange, because uh, it has been a few years, and that he's been doing his work, and he's a diligent study, and he is now one of the more powerful characters in the Marvel Universe. I'm surprised at the reaction. I, I shouldn't be, but he generally comes off as... Uh, the adult in the room, very reassuring, and that regardless of what happens over the course of the movie, mm. I think I think Strange might know how this is going to work out. I think I have faith in him. Yeah. 
Well, it, it, you need that kind of character in a movie like this where there's yeah. a lot of spinning plates and a lot of the spinning plates are off balance. We have now moved from the soundstage to a actual street in Atlanta, which they were gracious enough to let us light on fire. And here we see the beginnings of Bruce's issues. Where's your gun? I don't know. We've sort of been having a thing. There's no time for a thing. That's the thing right there. This was an interesting uh, journey that we went on with Banner, trying to decide how to move him forward in the Marvel Universe. What makes him unique as a character is that, you know, there's a host body that is being mm. fought over by two distinct personalities who hate each other and both want control of the host body. And so we thought an interesting direction to take him in is, well, what if Banner, who typically uses the Hulk to solve crisis situations, what if the Hulk were no longer interested in solving those problems for Banner? so that the, uh, the relationship is becoming increasingly dysfunctional. And that's what's going on here. People have speculated whether there was some fear on the Hulk's part about having to face Thanos again, but I think ultimately what it is is that he's tired of playing hero right. to uh, Bruce Banner. And again, with a movie with 23 named heroes that you know from other movies, one of the challenges is to give people the briefest complete arc. And so that's, that's Banner has to rely on himself is essentially the one line brief arc for him in this movie. Yep. Tony, you okay? How we doing? Good, man? Really, really good. Really good. Do you plan on helping out? I'm trying. You won't come out. Talk about Ma a little bit. He is a... Um inspired a little bit by Mephistopheles from uh, from the original mm -hmm. uh, Right, Starlin we pulled books. a couple lines from yeah, him. Yeah. We, there are some directly quoted lines from the book that we put in his mouth. We, Black Order in particular, we worked hard to adjust them to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In the Hickman run, I thought the characters were too powerful, and nobody wants the sub-villain to outshine the villain. And uh, we adjusted their power sets so that they lined up in a way that was more interesting with our heroes, uh, which is why Maw's a wizard. I mean, we think we decided he's a techno mage. Yes. So he can move. Uh, he can control matter. things at a molecular level. Yes. Yeah. As long and as he's also matter. a fantastic performance, too. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Tom, Tom Von Lawler. Remember again, in story, the story structure and the design of the thing, we did not want to have Thanos himself going to six different places, punching six different people in the face, getting six stones, mm. movie over. Well, so, we also, I mean, not only for repetition, but you don't want, you don't want people to fight Thanos until the very end. Mm -hmm. By the way, there's a little wink to Raiders of the Lost Ark right there. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, exactly. Wanted to show that the Time Stone, this is very big to, for Kevin Feige, uh, make sure that his greatest weapon was certainly on his mind and he tried to use it, but Ma was one step ahead of him. Yeah, you know, the, the, these characters, the Black Order can certainly find the stones. And if they can find the stones, the, uh, the assumption is that they know an awful lot about the stones. And they're prepared, Ma in particular, to not be undone by the Time Stone. Kid, that's the wizard, 
the relationship between uh, Peter Parker and Tony Stark is integral to the emotional core of the film. Mm -hmm. And it's one that was uh, set up in Civil War, continued in Homecoming, and, uh, and it's furthered here. Uh, and it is, uh, it's a father-son relationship. Uh, and uh, one that will ultimately end up being ex exceedingly painful for Tony. Yeah. Circumstances sort of force them to, yeah. to, mo to move forward into a, into a more complex place with one another. Yeah. Tony tries to save him, tries to protect him, and actually does save him, sends him home. Kid's too much of a, yeah. a hero for that. Yeah. Speaking of loyalty. Yeah. Now the big question is, whatever happened to that hand? <laughs> it's still, right. uh, still in Washington Square Park. Exactly. That's right. So this was a, a big moment for all of us, all the comic book fans who work on the movie, to send uh, Peter Parker to space, have him crawling up the side of a spaceship. Uh, another big moment, obviously, is giving him the uh, Iron Spider outfit, right. uh, which you see here. Uh, so clearly... Uh, something Tony had uh, tucked away for a rainy day. Pete, you gotta let go, I'm gonna catch you. But you said save the wizard! Again, we're trying to design four, five, six different small stories based around the stones that can be woven together. Um, these various groups coming together, breaking apart, um, so but also, this is the perhaps first one. Everything happening for a reason. Peter just doesn't get a suit because we want him to look cool and sell more toys in this one. He needs a different suit. He needs for to go to space purpose. in something different, right. something that he can breathe in, right. uh, something to let him function in the environment he's about to encounter. The idea behind the movie too, and we talked about this earlier, is this smash and grab concept. Nobody gets to rest in this film. Mm -hmm. They literally get, you know, Strange Tony, Banner, and Wong get about two minutes of exposition out before the story comes to them. And now they're in motion. An inciting incident has happened, uh, and characters are in motion. And you'll watch each sequence as we introduce characters. Each one has its own inciting incident right. that sets them off on the path towards Thanos. I'm not even sure exactly what the amount of elapsed time in this movie is. It can't be more than a, maybe two days. Yeah, at most. Right. As you mentioned, Peter is, uh, won't give up. Right. And now inserts himself in the story in a way that's going to have a, a very tragic ending for him. He should have stayed on the bus. This is really unique here uh, coming up is the... Uh, the way that we introduce the queue, it's smashing these worlds together mm -hmm. uh, in a way that you haven't seen before. Somebody put um, put their chocolate in my peanut butter. Right. It's it's really bizarre to see, and every time I see it, it's very strange to see this queue starting over Banner mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like yeah. The traditional cut would be to go it's to. It's almost Steve. like Rubber Band Man signifies yeah. Steve Rogers because right. it starts playing when you look at it. You go like that doesn't seem right. right. Who would it signify? <laughs> Oh. oh, and it's a tease to anybody who's paying attention. They're going to pick it up before we even cut to space. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that is a uh, a joke. Here's our rock star uh, on our part. Uh, that that space title, right. making fun of our uh, our pension for title cards. <laughs> Sing it, 
Uh, we knew we needed a big intro for the Guardians. We wanted something that was very different tonally from uh, everyone else in the film. And I think um, you know we bandied about this idea that uh, that they were singing along to a song mm -hmm. uh, from uh, from Cool Zune. And um, it's been a couple of years between Guardians Two and this movie, so they're a very polished uh, uh, quote unquote superhero group who's been traveling uh, uh, the galaxy on many adventures, and uh, obviously um, uh, have all picked up a little bit of Groot by this point, right. and know uh, a lot of the songs on uh, Quill Zune. I mean, having them in the same film was just, you know, like seeing the contrast to the between the Guardians and the Avengers is like really delightful. I mean, they're 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 sort of like the gang that couldn't shoot straight, mm -hmm. you know, sort of in, in contrast to the like the, the dream team, but yet equally heroic in their own way. And actually, closer to the tragic center of the story. Yeah, right. That was one of the things we really wanted to. It was an advantage, right? Yeah, Thanos has. A couple of daughters who are members yeah so we there if we could tie them to one of the um, stones uh, it'd be all the better that plot always works best when the characters are emotionally connected to the plot in some way uh, obviously in a movie with 23 heroes you can't and I, that might not even be an accurate count i don't know i don't think we've ever uh, seen that it's 20 yeah i mean so, somewhere in that ballpark that's yeah. your definition here yeah, that's right but uh um you know not all of them can be emotionally tied to the plot but we knew that certainly that gamora could uh and she becomes the um uh, the core character uh, of the film emotionally, one of the core characters of the film emotionally. This, this and the following scene are like uh, two of my favorite scenes in the film. And they were... Uh, they were shot very early on. They were shot early mm -hmm. on, and Wonders. even when we were sh on set, you could tell how special they were. The performances were just really mm -hmm. alive and uh, very sort of unpredictable and kinetic and, and, and surprising. And an opportunity to keep Thor and Chris Hemsworth in the the more comedic zone he'd gotten into from Ragnarok so that he didn't go back to being the grave Thor but got to maintain a little bit of that whimsy despite despite his tragedy. Right. Yeah, it's almost like a third version of him now. talk about the chemistry between Hemsworth and uh, Pratt in the mm. scenes. Uh, Ridiculous. Yeah, these guys uh, love the uh, the point of view and the energy and we're, we're pretty fearless comedically. And it's great when you take two very funny actors and you put them in a room together because they, they push each other. Right. It play, you know, there is a natural competition when the lead from two different franchises get together and it plays right into the competition of the two heroes getting together. So it's a, it is delightful. It is, and it's fun because the car, the deck is so stacked in the scene. Is like Thor is privy to so much more mm -hmm. information about our story than than Quill is at this moment that he can basically trump him it over a, and over again. That's right. It's a very compelling element of crossovers. Is who has primacy? These are all leaders. Mm -hmm. right? They all are used to leading their own worlds and universes and once you put them in the same room together 
who gets to call the shots. Right. And that is a, a notion that we revisit several times in the movie as different configurations of characters run into each other. Then I had to kill my father. That was hard. Probably even harder than having to kill a sister. Plus I came out with both my eyes, which was... I need a hammer, not a spoon. There's a spoon that was clearly caught in the uh, washing machine. Mm. I mean, you have... There's a 15-minute version of this scene if you want it. I mean, this is yes. an embarrassment of riches in this scene. Right. Yeah. It might be elsewhere on your DVD. Although this is another example of a scene where, you know, Jeff Ford cut the scene, our editor, very early on, and it didn't evolve too much from, uh, from, from the very early yeah. cut, surprisingly. Well, are you making your we could talk about the Guardian's roles in the movie for a minute. Um, Quill is a very interesting character to us. He's sort of like a Peter Pan character. He was his mother was dying of cancer. He was kidnapped at the age of ten, raised by pirates. He's not, you know he's he he's unique. And what's fun about him is he's very flawed and uh, and he's emotionally damaged. His mother's been murdered. Um, he murdered his own father. Yeah, that's right. His girlfriend's about to die in the movie. So this is a guy who's uh, he has incredible catharsis in his life. Uh, Gamora is the bravest character in the film, without question. She had two, two, two separate moments in the movie is willing to die mm-hmm. uh, in order to protect the universe and doesn't hesitate in either circumstance. Drax obviously provides a lot of uh, uh, comic relief. Mm-hmm. He does have a, an emotional connection to Thanos, uh, which he tries to act upon. Uh, it doesn't go well for him. Mm-hmm. Rocket, I think, is a really interesting character. Reminds us a lot of uh, Louis De Palma from uh, oh, our sure. favorite show, Growing Up Taxi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this sort of um, uh, puts up a big front, but yeah, really cynical, underneath there's some cynical a hole, relentless. Uh, yeah. Who ultimately, if you were to dig, dig very, very, very deep, there's a little teeny little heart beating right. in there. Right. And Groot, who we wanted on a very simple arc, we thought it was very funny. Uh, James did with him at the end of uh, Guardians Two, mm-hmm. and so we left him in the space of being a belligerent teenager who makes one choice, one important choice in the movie. Right. That's that a good example of the plot. proper-sized arcs mm, for right. various characters. Yeah, exactly. And Mantis, Mantis is just funny every time she... But And yet gets big, a couple of big moments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that said, we also wanted to split the Guardians up mm-hmm. because much like the strange alchemy of putting different Avengers with different people, we couldn't have them just functioning as a unit throughout the movie. Yeah. So this is the first division where Rocket and Groot go off with Thor. And then later Gamora will leave the other three. I thought the Rocket Thor pairing would be interesting because Rocket is so hardened and cynical and Thor is in this very vulnerable emotional state. I I think we'd all agree that collectively one of our favorite scenes in the movie is is Rocket and Thor in the pod having a heart-to-heart conversation with each other. And this is a perfect example of heroes with opposing agendas. And keeping an emotion. I mean, Thor is only with them for a very short period of time before he's blasting off in another direction so that the movie is always pressing forward. And you remember, you as an audience member uh, have watched many, many, many movies and television shows over the course of your life. And so you were 
you know, when Thor says, I'm going to go get the thing that's going to defeat the bad guy, you are predicting, whether you know it or not, 90 minutes ahead, when he's going to get that thing. He's going to defeat that bad guy. Because commercial we movies absolute, end up Yes, yeah. we absolutely take advantage of, of that. Mm -hmm. We, we did the, I mean, it's, it's very similar to what we did in Civil War. Uh, collectively, right. we all like to deconstruct narrative, I think. And mm -hmm. part of how we deconstruct the mythology of these movies is by playing into predictive elements and then turning them on their head. So when we show you two minutes of a backstory of super soldiers, uh, evil super soldiers in Civil right. War, the intent is that you will think this that... This must be important. <laughs> yeah, we've spent that story space oh, for a reason. Fight. And now there's going to be a big fight in the, in the third act, and this is... Uh, you know, Tony and uh, Cap are going to solve their differences and have to overcome a bigger problem. That was, in fact, not the case. Same in this film. We are setting Thor up uh, uh, in a way, as I said earlier, correlating hero's journey with Thanos. One of those two is going to win the movie. Uh, typically, commercial movies do not end this way. So the expectation uh, is that Thor will solve the problem. So remember our fondness for misdirection uh, as you ask us questions about Avengers 4 over the course exactly. of the next year. <laughs> this, this isn't live, Ant. I mean, they're, they're not on the phone right now or anything. We also say this is Edinburgh, yeah. and we did I, go to I Edinburgh. For, they could be in Hawaii, but no one took me up on that. <laughs> well, uh, I love Edinburgh. But yeah, it's it's gorgeous. My favorite did you enjoy it, planet. Steve? Yeah. I did. It was five yeah. degrees. I enjoyed it when it was five degrees. I also liked that they could deep fry my kebab. Yes. Like deep fry anything you want, That's really. Right. Yeah, but don't know. This city had a wonder. I mean, a, a beautiful texture to it. You know, we were looking for some, uh, you know, a private moment for Wanda and Vision to engage in their relationship, a romantic place, but also a place that can go from something sort of romantic to scary and gothic quickly. And that was basically the, the what we were driving at here. Um, to their experience. And again, one of the few intro scenes, right? Yeah. Tony and Pepper had one. Uh, Stranger Wong had one. They have one. But again, it's about the stone. I mean, mm -hmm. we remind you, he's got a stone in his head, and then someone comes for it. It's not... Wait! Oh. Ouch. Again, we're not waiting. The story isn't waiting. Yeah. The story is coming to the characters. They're all on their heels. They're a very important relationship to the movie, uh, Vision and Wanda. One of the most heartbreaking scenes in the film is between the two of them. Uh, and we knew that we had to, to get to that point, we had to cement their relationship. Mm -hmm. Also, what I love about the scene is that this is, uh, you know, Wanda um, doing everything she can to uh, protect a, um, uh, a broken vision. Right. I, w I would say that we have difficulty with characters who are too powerful um, mm -hmm. because uh, if they can solve the problem uh, on page one, where are you going? Uh, so we have a tendency, all of us, to look for ways to cripple powerful characters either physically or psychologically and in this case Vision gets skewered by a very powerful weapon uh, and he's damaged throughout the rest of the movie systems are failing I think Lizzie's performance is really good in our, in our stunt right. team as well in that you know you, you feel the desperation in her mm -hmm. in terms of how her fighting style her efforts trying to get back to Vision and right. save him We talk about uh, there were very there were earlier drafts of the script I think with the Black Order in a more stylized draft where we did backstories for each of them. Mm -hmm. and we did, yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, it, you know, the the movie was getting too crowded, too hard to follow. In the books, there's a there's a backstory. 
between uh, Proxima and Corvus that right. they're married, only hinted at in the slightest way here uh, by the fact that they are paired up uh, to retrieve a stone and the way that she responds. Proxima responds when Cor Corvus gets stabbed by uh, Natasha. This was really all of us working hard to figure out a way to give Steve Rogers a great entrance into the film. We knew mm -hmm. that we were delaying his entrance. Mm -hmm. We had uh, drafts where we really delayed it. Yeah. <laughs> and we wanted him to have a powerful entrance back into the movie and one that also spoke to this edgier version of Cap. When you're on the run for two years, no matter who you are, it changes you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's certainly more hardened. Living and, in the shadows. Yeah. He's, a, you know, he's always been a man of few words. He has very few words. Yeah. Right. These are, uh, obviously, the Black Order are very powerful. They've got um, Vision on his heels. They're giving Wanda a run for her money. But what we wanted to illustrate here is that this core group of Avengers, quote-unquote secret Avengers, in um, Falcon, Widow, and Cap are hardened, tough, and work very exactly. well as a unit right. uh, and surprise the Black Order here, uh, get the upper hand. Yeah, this is, every theater I go to, this is rousing. How many theaters do you go to? Constantly going to theaters, man. We should mention Al, you know, Alan Silvestri's theme here. Oh, yeah. That we, that we use. Um, and, you know, it's, it's very Pavlovian yeah. for many of us in terms it of the emotional is. reaction yeah. Yeah. from it. I think it's, without question, the most emotional um, piece of music in the that MCU. It, yeah, cue that exists in the MCU yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and used um, sparingly in this movie for two very big moments one here and one with uh, Thor it's it's mm -hmm. hinted at in other places but doesn't get into its full-blown um, uh, presentation ex and it was that a uh, Silvestri or you guys it was uh, I think we we're uh, Alan recommended this mm -hmm. and it was uh, we we're sitting in a room with him and he just uh, we pulled out an iPhone and started playing it from the original Avengers soundtrack just <laughs> over the cut and everybody in the room went crazy. So we said, all right, that's a great idea. And then, um, you know, we knew we needed a big piece of score for Thor, so we thought, mm -hmm. er, er, early on when we were conceiving the film, it was very important to us as directors to identify two or three key moments where that theme could come in. As I said, I think it's the, you know, the best thing that we have for music in the, in the Marvel Universe, just for, for recognizability and connection to the audience. Mm -hmm. Now here we get to something that has been hinted at, but never shown, which is Gamora is Thanos' adopted mm -hmm. daughter. How does a man like Thanos go about adopting anyone? Does he go to an agency? Does he fill out a form? <laughs> no, he kills everybody else. Well, half of everybody right. else on the planet. And... Then you're his. And this, <laughs> okay. this, the we always had this scene from the very first drafts. It changed slightly, but it was always uh, he destroys her world and he takes her um, as an orphan. But it was also very important not for him to just grab her, stick her under his arm, and drag her off. Mm -hmm. Something he sees in her. Right. There's something he sees in her, and there is something she sees in him. Yeah. He is a protector. It's even a, the, even if he created the danger, he is providing right. a way forward for her that does speak. To her inherent nature. It's an abusive relationship in that way. Visually, 
it's, it's a very it's, it's tragic. Uh, it implies what is about to happen to her. He steps her outside of his rule of law, right. which is, you know, one side randomly survives and the mm-hmm. other side randomly gets killed. She's in between the two. Right. Scenes do more than one thing, right? This yeah. is, here's how he used to work. This is reminding you. This is his philosophy, balance. Um, this is how he got her. This is the planning of a MacGuffin that's going to be helpful later. Um, it's unfortunately a trajectory she can't escape. Right. Because mm-hmm. it does ultimately end up in her demise. I love the tension in her performance there. Yes, this uh, young actress was really fantastic to work with. And here she is. Zoe, you know, approached this role with a lot of bravery, you know, like, uh, you know, an intimate collaboration with all these actors is necessary to pull off uh, these sort of very, you know, wonderful characters and wonderful arcs. But Zoe had, you know, perhaps the most difficult one in the film. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she was, you know, we spent a lot of time working with her on that, talking through the character arc with her. She approached it very... uh, a lot of integrity and a lot of uh, bravery, I, th- I thought. And I was really, really respect her performance in this film. I want you to promise me. And she, uh, she carries the movie emotionally. What? I know something he doesn't. If he finds it. Characters at several points in the movie, uh, characters and relationships are put into situations where. Uh, one is asked to kill the other. It's uh, it's a, by design, yeah. The to script protect does the that universe. Three or four times. Yeah. 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 Are you going to make choices? Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to be a hero? So a lot of people have a very similar choice. Will I lose my loved one or not? Because it's almost, I mean, we are used to heroes sacrificing themselves. It's almost a given. But what's the next step? Mm-hmm. What do you what What are you willing to give up? I know who, all who these people will jump on the grenade. Mm-hmm. Will they throw somebody else on the grenade? Yeah. <laughs> and it's really fun how Gamora basically try. You know, the, generally the our heroes in the film refuse to compromise. Yeah. On, a, mm-hmm. on life, but Gamora very cleverly traps Quill into <laughs> a promise here. Right. Because she knows something that's coming that he doesn't. And that was, uh, you know, there was a lot of speculation as to where the soul stone was, right? And that was, we, we were never wanted to give that chip away. We didn't want it to be somewhere you already knew. We didn't want some other movie to, to plant it. We wanted to use it as a story point. And we, yeah, we um, didn't want it to be random it. either, like it's on Planet X, exactly. it, which happens to have lots of, you know, spiders yeah. on it. So it'll be <laughs> it, difficult. It becomes a secret for one of our characters, and therefore it's, it becomes emotional. Mm. Um, this is perhaps Drax's funniest moment. Yeah, Dave Batista is an extraordinary human being. He, yeah, and his performance—he is so disciplined and controlled. It's amazing to me. Yeah, he's so his, funny. His joke delivery is as sly and subtle as anyone we've ever worked with. I'm sure that this. Hi, Drax. And here we go back to a setting from the first Guardians movie. Again, this movie rewards investment. Less good We want to do a nice contrast here, if you remember, the uh, when, when they enter Nowhere in the Guardians, it's mm-hmm. like they're driving into Vegas on a Friday night, and uh, something's amiss now. Again, this is Thanos' effect on the universe. 
There are two shots in the movie where Zoe silently absorbs the presence of Thanos. Uh, one is over her shoulder when they first arrive at the Ark and they see all the dead bodies floating in space. Uh, it's a very just subtle shot of her twisting her head, knowing you know, there's very few people in the universe who could enact that kind of destruction. And then again here, feeling it as, uh, as she's landing, that they may be too late. And for um, eagle-eyed viewers, <laughs> right Tobias <there>. Funke <laughs> is, uh, is uh, part of the MCU. The Collector Returns. Yes, the Magnificent. Yeah, one one of the charms of this, right? We didn't even mention it, but Ned Leeds from Homecoming is, you know, has about ten seconds in the movie. Um, Benicio del Toro is going to have another sixty. Uh, it's it's one of hopefully the the delightful things about this all star mashup is mm. that you'll get these little sprinkles. But for a reason, there would be an actor in those That's places. Right. That's right. But we have the opportunity to bring in this magnificent supporting cast. Yeah. It's a callback to uh, Drax's uh, history with Thanos That's here. Right. Mm. Every scene does more yeah. than one thing. His, his, uh, his planet was treated the, uh, the same way as uh, Gamora's planet. Uh, Drax was put on one side, his family was put on the other. This scene is, you know, th this is the beginning of the uh, relationship between Gamora and Thanos in the film. Right. And you, you, right away, you're thrown into like whatever their very complex history with one another is. I love how Zoe reacts to this moment where she mm -hmm. believes that she's killed him. It's really powerful. And murdered her abuser. We should point out that one of the challenges when you have six MacGuffins and every stone does a different thing, uh, it's incumbent upon us to remind people what that stone does and to show it visually. So mm -hmm. you'll notice that pretty much every time he gets a stone, he uses it in the next scene. This takes a while because, you know, it's essentially an illusion that he takes away. And here he uses this whole thing as a test to see if she's still cares for him and that reaction tells him that she does. I mean, this is one of the most interesting that thing, things that Thanos does and you realize that he has an inner life and an emotional life that, that's Twisted, important to him. Yes, 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is so manipulative. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a taste of the relationship he's had with Gamora. It yeah. hasn't just been physical manipulation. He has, you know, emotionally. He's an extreme sociopath mm. with a, but in, a messianic From his complex. point of view, he's mm -hmm. trying to salvage his relationship right. with her. They have had a falling out. He loves her. He's trying to find a way to make help her realize that they have a bond between mm -hmm. them, that they share love. People have asked us why Thanos didn't just use the stones to uh, double the resources in the universe. Clearly, oh. he is not. It's, no, it's about free will. Is that doesn't solve the problem. And, We're just going to get there yeah. millions of years from now. Mm -hmm. right. This is a, an opportunity for people to get it right. Well, he um, was told he no. he trusts them, you know. To an idea that he had that he felt was the, mm -hmm. uh, the only solution and then was proved uh, right 
mm-hmm. to himself uh, when that uh, solution was not uh, acted upon. So his messianic complex, uh, he is now committed to uh, following through uh, on the idea he had many, many years ago. He's not a he's not a stable, although he appears stable at times. He's not a stable individual. And here a nod to the original Starlin comics, where Thanos does some very strange things with the stones. Cubes and ribbons. Mm-hmm. Again, another fantastic performance. Uh, by Zoe and by Chris here. Again, right. I always thought, you know, it's like, it, it's, you know, in treating Gamora's friends playfully, I think, again, it's, it's Thanos stepping very lightly around his relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Another character has to make a painful choice, right? Yeah. Too much from him. And it's as if Thanos She's thinks he knows him. And on a certain level, it is the girlfriend's dad meeting the boyfriend for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Twisted. I love that. He rolls his head. <laughs> it's great. This is where you see the depth of, you know, when, when these actors get to work with one another over multiple films. It's like the mm-hmm. the connection these mm-hmm. two characters, you know, that Zoe and Chris share here. It's really intense. The bubble's obviously a function of the reality stone. Thanos has the ability to manipulate. Very helpful for later. I mean, yes. by reusing them, you sort of know immediately what's happened. We were asked by a 12-year-old in uh, D.C. at a Q&A mm-hmm. why Thanos needed all six stones and why didn't he just use the reality stone to alter reality. The, uh, the idea being that only something so dramatic as disposing of half the unit, life right. and half the universe could be accomplished with the power of all six stones. Yeah, it's a, I think reality stone, we sort of use it as an impermanent solution to things. Yes, right? not real. Yeah. It's, it, it's illusory, it creates illusions. And here you see one of the most extraordinary actors in the film. Of course, oh, I'm referring to William Hurt. Right. No, stop it. This is this is an amazing piece of work. We have a little, look oh, at there. Look, look, look at him on his phone. Oh, right something coming out of his shoulder. Oh, he's texting yeah, like crazy. Yeah, that guy's really oh, committed look at to that. texting. Look at that. Yeah, he's, he's just he's an inquisitive eyebrow. there. <laughs> I'll be late. Maybe it's hard to say what's going on. <sighs> Thank God we signed him to a 10-picture deal. Mm-hmm. You don't hear his voice in the movie, but you hear his voice Two right words, now. <laughs> phase five. Now, what's interesting about these characters is that they are all heroes, and that irrespective of the events of Civil War and the fact that they um, caused you know, physical damage to Rhodey, when aliens show up with the intent to destroy the Earth, he does not hesitate as a hero to invite in other heroes who can help him defend the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think it would be a much different situation if Tony were here. If Tony and Steve had to see each other for the first time, it would be much more complicated. Right. Uh, Which is why we didn't do it. I mean, yeah. we tried in a few drafts, and right. it, it ground things to a halt. Yeah. 
Rhodey is once removed from that conflict. He is also uh, an extremely heroic character, a military man, and understands that you know his sacrifice needs to be put aside for the greater good of the universe. He's a pragmatist. And I might add, Vision is the one shot his suit, That's which right. broke his back. Yeah, yeah but right. off camera since yeah. Civil War, he and Vision obviously had been working together until Vision That's went right. off the grid and mm -hmm. disappeared. Right. So they must have made amends. Yeah, well, the hotels weren't exactly five star. I think you look great. And here we have just a taste of a reunion. I'm back. Hi, Bruce. Should also say, moving too fast for love. Yeah. <laughs> Should also say to the 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 designers and builders of this set. It's the biggest and most extraordinary set I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah, Char Charlie Woods did an amazing This must be 2,000 square feet. Yeah, I mean, it's, the production it's, design on this movie is incredible. Yeah, I would, I would pay good rent to live in Avengers Compound. So obviously shot very differently than Civil War and Winter Soldier. The colors are very different. Uh, those, were, those two movies were intentionally uh, desaturated, brutalist. Uh, we we're we we're trying to take the comic book out of Captain America. So we were, were intentionally pulling it as close as we could to the real world and to make it less colorful than more colorful. We're integrating a lot of different franchises here. We're dealing with very cosmic, fantastical locations. We knew that we were going to embrace color very early on in Infinity War, and the cameras are what we call studio mode. Um, you know, they're on dollies, steady cam, cranes. It's more of a presentational image, more steady image. We, we do do handheld at various points in the movie, but it's instinctual moments for us. It is not a, uh, it's not a mandate like it was in Civil War and uh, in Winter Soldier. Thanos threatens half the universe. One life cannot stand in the way of defeating him. Would you say this color, though, in, say, the Earthbound scenes is closer to Civil War versus the space scenes? Or do you see a particular difference between a similar scene in Civil War. And the this. thing that's close is the fact that these are the same outfits. That, you know, Steve Rogers, we redesigned his outfit to desaturate it. He's ripped most of the uh, labels off of it. You know, this vision is the same outfit that he was in in Civil War. So, yes, Earthbound, you could say, but still, even in, in New York or at the Sanctum, mm -hmm. you know, there's still, there's still an element of color. And this, gotcha. the set was designed for more warmth than we traditionally Yeah, we did. combined more color temperatures in this scene, I think, than we would, we would have in those other films, even on Earth. And There's a modern edge to both of those movies that, again, also is about smashing Captain America into the modern world in a way that creates conflict. Uh, he's uh, his... Oh, and here we... Talked right through the... Uh, where? One of the biggest reveals. Uh, <laughs> where, where are we? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we tested this movie a few times, um, and when we got to this scene, uh, most of the audiences, say in January and early February, went, oh, well, this is an interesting place. I've never been here before. And after mid-February, once Black Panther come out, this scene gets a huge cheer. It just rewards you investing in these characters. I was, I shouldn't have been surprised, but boy, I was really pleased. And here you see several more threads coming together. Mm -hmm. Bucky Barnes's long road that you guys began so many years ago. So many oh, years ago. Bucky. 
Now, so many years you know, ago. if you're, it was a big conversation early on. I said we're going to set a lot of the third act in Wakanda because if you're going to go anywhere in the world to protect a MacGuffin from uh, from an evil alien, uh, it's going to be Wakanda. Right. And it's that, that's not an easy decision. I mean, we certainly talked about it a lot. I mean, Marvel yeah. knew that they were two months of it would be two months from having the third act in Wakanda. That's right. Is that the smartest thing? But if you're going to take a stone out, you need the best scientists, and if you need you're going to protect yourself, you need the most secure country in the world and yeah. you know what else yeah. you make your last yeah. stand so it, it ended up we looked pretty smart because people loved that movie and it was delightful to go back but it wasn't a slam dunk that that would be the case i think it was also a payoff of the relationship that began between t'challa and cap mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. civil war you know yeah. there, there's a really interesting arc journey those two characters have traveled together and the development of a mutual respect and a bond kind of blossoms into this moment where cap can actually go to him and ask some Right. Make an ask like this. Just give me. This, this is a uh, marathon, man. Yes. Is it safe? <laughs> and like, yeah, and, uh, it's sort of kudos safe. to our, our our VFX team for you know Ma's face is magnificent. Yeah. The movement is expression. This is something that took a lot of work in the script phase. How to reintroduce Peter Parker back into the story on the ship and at what moment? Mm. We may have shot this scene twice. <laughs> Try and get it, get it oh, correct. There are all sorts of versions. We tried to give every character, every main character, say a bit of a topic sentence. Right? Why? Why am I in this movie? Why am I, you know, going to the great lengths I'm going to? And so, Peter Parker's is because how can you be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood? Right? Mm-hmm. Tony will, you know couple minutes to tell Dr. Strange that Thanos has been rolling around in his head and, and I got to do something about it. He's been the cause of all my anxiety. Steve just said it to Colonel Ross, to Director Ross. Uh, Secretary of State. Strange. Secretary, forgive me. Yeah. Strange says it to Tony that his job is to protect the time. That's right. Mm-hmm. So everyone, everyone gets a, if you're doing your three paragraph paper at home, everyone gets a topic sentence at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Including the cloak. That's right. A lot of discussion. Very about loyal it. piece of honor. Yeah. How to dispatch of Ma here. Yeah. Uh, this is probably one, one so of the difficult. most talked yeah. about things in the movie. Eventually, we decided that, you know, like Indy with the. Uh, uh, oh, he's facing gun. the saber yeah. Uh, exactly. swordsman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he puts the whip down and pulls out his gun. That uh, something quick and efficient would be more surprising uh, than something belabored mm. uh, because there's an incredible amount of action in the movie. Felt like we did not need another five-minute action sequence. Right. We, we, we also we, just saw a fight yeah. between these exact characters in New York. In New York. This That's is a good example good. of how we work. You know, like all of us will decide on our story points and and how we what we want to happen, and then we will go into a cycle where we work with our VFX team and our stunt team on on various ideas about mm. how that fight can happen. How you know, and we will sometimes we'll explore six, seven, eight different possibilities before arriving at what, what is the right thing, what's servicing the story best, what's servicing the characters best. But I, I think this was an example where we explored many possibilities of that fight. Yeah. Gonna turn the ship around. Yeah. Now he wants to run. Great. I want to protect the stone. And I want you to thank me now. Go ahead, I'm listening. For what? And I think we were all delighted that we could uh, call back to uh, a really old movie. Mm. That's right. I tried to bench you, you refused. One of my favorite scenes of the movie as well is this showdown between these two great actors. Yeah, you've been waiting for, for this sort of, you know, 
if you remember in, in Avengers, Tony goes to space for a very brief moment and sees what is in effect the looming threat of Thanos. And now he is in space again. And it's time to face that thing he saw back then. And these characters all have very cathartic histories that are coming, in, they're clashing with each other. Strange obviously lost the Ancient One and learned a very powerful lesson about protecting the Time Stone and what his mission is as Master of the Mystic Arts. Tony saw a vision of all of his friends dead. These are powerful motivators that drive these characters uh, on their missions, and their missions are conflicting with each other. Right. Again, this movie, if, you, if you've invested, can be very rich because of that, because you bring all that into the movie with you. Well, that's what makes the movie unique, right? Yeah. Is that uh, Historically, I don't know that you can point yeah. to another movie ever being made like this, where there are 18 subsequent stories having been told that uh, were all of uh, from different successful franchises. Yeah. Uh, so it, it creates a very unique movie-going experience. That's we couldn't tell this story without all of those stories being sure. told. There's no yeah. way that you can introduce all no, of these it's, characters. No, it's built on 17, 18 other movies. Yeah. And if you just wrote this script and said, there's a wizard and a man with a metal <laughs> suit, and they fight a purple guy, people would laugh you out of town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it, it, um, it's a testament to Kevin and to, the, uh, to Marvel that they... That, the audience has become accustomed to this type of storytelling or, or a segment of it is so that they're on board for a movie that starts right in the middle and assumes that you know a decent amount. I have to tell you that I've been hearing from grandmothers who've mm -hmm. never seen any of the movies really? before. Tell the New Yorker. Uh, yeah, what's that? <laughs> tell the New Yorker. <laughs> Oh, I, didn't, I didn't see that, but I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I feel like first-time view, viewers are responding right. uh, strongly and, and not just um, you know, people who not are outside what you think the tar uh, of okay. as the target audience. Yeah. These are some of the richest emotional scenes yeah. in the movie. We've always targeted yeah. this as the midpoint, yeah. roughly. These two characters have uh, a, a devastating history together. And we may have shot this scene twice as well. <laughs> and Thanos, as you can tell, uh, the Black Order are also the children of Thanos, is that uh, he goes planet to planet. As he destroys a planet, he, he can, if moved, collect a child from that planet and train them and uh, turn them into a, a part of his cult. We're actually going to release a elongated version of this scene, hopefully on the, the DVD you're listening to right now, where Thanos and Gamora go even more deeply into their history together. Mm. And it's a really, I think it's really wonderful stuff, very complex uh, sort of uh, malignant family relationship. But it just ended up being too long for the film and we ended up uh, figuring out a, a, a tighter version of the movie that gave us the right balance of emotional complexity and depth, but also kept the, kept the story moving. Part of what defines Gamora as a hero is the fact that she rebels and is the only one who has rebelled against Thanos. She calls him on it right here in this scene. And the audience, I think the audience desperately needs someone to say, you are nuts. This idea of yours is not, it's no not, one else thinks this. It's not stable, it's not stable. Yeah, she's our surrogate. But it's also the closest you get to Thanos emotionally making his case for, mm -hmm. you know, there's a reason I do this. I'm not just a lunatic. Yeah. Right. His Malthusian philosophy that uh, about uh, population control. 
He's nearly vulnerable here. Yeah. It's about the only. I mean, there's obviously the end of the second act. He gets vulnerable. Yeah. And look at that. That. And is when he gets rejected at the end of the scene, he becomes. He goes hardcore in the other direction. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Once he gets it, so, yeah. this better be worth it. I'm, I offered I'm you caring. Yeah. If you don't want uh, that, I have something else for you. I have seen lots of online stuff about. Can we talk about that? Thanos is hot. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And in doing so, major the fierce. Yeah. Bad boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't change him. He's got a kind of Tony Soprano kind of. Uh, Bulky magnet, nut sack of a chin. <laughs> Stop is, it. Is it attractive? <laughs> is that what I'm hearing? I am disappointed. But not because you didn't find it. This is, a, again, a story thing. The, the catalyst for the whole movie was when Thanos figured out where the Soul Stone was because he captured Nebula on his ship and rooted around her brain and found out this that Gamora knew where the Soul Stone was. It's the reason why he has not... Why he hasn't gone for it gone before. Gone after the stones you know, at this point because the minute he does, the forces of the universe are going to line up against him. Right. If he doesn't know where the Soul Stone is, then what is the point? Exactly. And that's a stone. question we had to answer based on all these other movies. You know, it's a, it's a darn good question. So normally you want, you know, your inciting incident, the catalyst for this to maybe be on screen and maybe be first. But given how we wanted to approach the story, we've buried it to basically the midpoint. So, and, and again, it keeps you off balance, and, and, but it, it's definitely there. There's a reason, and it's this. This is certainly, um, this is where along with this. the scene on uh, Gomorrah's home planet, really illustrates the, uh, how psychotic Thanos is. Yeah. I'm surprised the screaming made it all the way through. It's yes, crushing. Yes, we were. Tired. Yeah. Karen, again, had a very brave performance in this movie as well. Accessing memory. Gamora is being undone by the uh, her her robotic sister, who she in part helped create. Mm-hmm. Because every time Gamora would beat Nebula in a training session, as a way to punish Nebula, Thanos would replace parts of her, trying to create a better fighter through robotic parts. Uh, and uh, and so there's a lot of tragedy that surround these characters, and this is a tragic irony for Gamora. Because of the work done, say, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, their relationship is stronger so that Gamora is, is torn here. That she, she may not give this information up, you know, six movies ago, but she, mm. she would now. Ken, it's, it's easy to jump on the grenade, but who would you throw someone else on the That's grenade? Right. As, as Thor points out, families can be tough. That's, That's true. so true. That's right. I think, you know, she's looking at buying time here mm-hmm. uh, and getting Thanos yeah. away from Nebula. Anthony, if Joe was hung up in Iraq and being tortured, what would you do? That's really the question. I, I would, I would give up for him here. <laughs> Is that because he's sitting here? <laughs> you have to. You have to live to fight another day. You have to <laughs> no, I agree. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Strategically, yeah. I think one, this, it's one step forward. This scene blends the tones of the movie mm-hmm. uh, uh, in a way that I don't think any other scene in the film does. It's absurd as a married to pathos, uh, and. Um, you know, Thor's behavior is what lends to the absurdism. He 
he's in a place where he's refusing to recognize right. how severe his situation is and, and all of the terrible things that have happened to him. Talking to a very cynical raccoon, uh, um, or getting cross-examined by a, a cynical raccoon. So dead brother, huh? I mean, we've often said that Marvel's the best sandbox to play in, right? It's it's not just because these characters have a long history of in the comics. It's because other films have developed the characters. Mm -hmm. uh, so we get to take, you know, these uh, two guardians and this Thor literally from their movies that came out just before this mm -hmm. and use them to our advantage. I mean, the, the other movies are tools for us. So you're up to this particular motor mission? Absolutely. No rage and uh, vengeance. And he crushes this scene. Yeah, he does. I, I mean, mean yeah. it's I think annoying. more than any of the actors in these films, the one that can go from comedic to tragic the fastest is Hemsworth. And that's a, that's a real gift as an actor. He's never fought me twice. I mean, he's grown over these movies, I think. Yeah. Tremendously, I think he's... Yeah. very hard to hold these this together, what he's doing. He's know? as compelling an actor as anyone in the world right now. We knew all this on set. I mean, I think yeah. everybody went, oh, oh, wow, that was, yeah. that was an impressive day. He really encapsulates a lot as an actor, and uh, he's very, his choices are very rich and uh, bold and, uh, and different. It's too bad he's ugly. He might be a yeah, perfect... Yeah, he could have a future if he wasn't such a hideous wreck. You know? Yeah. By the way, we're talking about Rocket. I'm sorry, are we talking about it? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, I mean, no, we're, we're, yeah. The, the sheen on his fur. <laughs> the... What more could I lose? Comedy is at its best when you emotionally commit to it. Not when you play the joke, but when you play against the joke. Mm -hmm. And that whole scene is a masterclass in comedy from Hemsworth because he's crying while also playing, at, uh, you know, putting on this ridiculous bravado, bravado uh, and refusing to admit that, uh, that he's already had his ass handed to him by Thanos. Thank you, sweet rabbit. One of the only times a uh, group becomes interested in it. That's right. His name. <laughs> yeah. When Thor gets pink eye. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people assume that Rocket had put it up his ass to get it out. What but do you it think? Was up his, it was up his ear, remember? Oh, it was, it was mm -hmm. up his ear. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, that's definitely an ass eye. Yeah. Oh, boy. Here we have Thor's destination. So this is part of what makes Infinity War and Infinity War the grand, exotic, mm -hmm. cosmic locations, the scale of the movie. This is on a massive scale. It's a star that's a forge that is manned by, um, uh, you know, yeah, giant the dwarves. Uh, dwarves. Ancient dwarves, an ancient race of weapons makers. We struggled a lot as to where this axe was going to be, if you remember. Oh, we yeah, had various, many locations. Uh, and again, I've been saying it, and it's like I forget every movie, but every scene needs to do more than one thing. And so we had scenes where it was trapped by a, a, basically a dragon, I mean, all sorts of things. But this scene, not only does it provide a test for Thor, but it also shows what Thanos has wrought, right? And that's mm -hmm. the second element, that it gets you a little myth yeah. about 
the forging of the gauntlet, and that he's a ruthless SOB. And I don't know why it took us so long to figure out that C needed to do that. No, it was such a it was a huge breakthrough. It was. Mm -hmm. It finally came. So many things on our our plate. You know, it's usually. A lot of times it's trying to make one scene work before you can move before on to the next scene and understand how that needs to work in the story. Well, it was also difficult because Thor is basically going off on his own in this movie, which, no, you know, of course Rocket and Groot are with him, but mm. there aren't a lot of people who are on their own specific mission in this He's film. on a non-stone mission. He's on a Thanos right. mission. And yet yeah. it goes back and connects to the central, mm-hmm. the central spine. Exactly. That's yeah. a, it was essential that Thanos had something to do with this. Right. Okay. And here we have the magnificent Peter Dinklage. That's right. If we didn't infuse Thor with this tragedy, this sadness about uh, his existence and everything that's happened to him, again, you might not believe, ultimately, that he could solve the film. So we really, really had to make it tragic. And it's part of the reason that Loki's death was so important at the beginning of the movie is that, you know, watching his brother finally make the choice to be a hero instead of a villain and then tragically suffering for it, uh, sends him on this uh, journey to do whatever it takes to solve the problem of the films. Itri, this isn't about your hands. Every weapon you've ever designed, every axe, hammer, sword, it's all inside your head. Now I know it feels like all hope is... One thing we can talk about here is the, you know, we have a lot of different environments in the film, different worlds, different locations. The story evolves, uh, you know, in different ways through these locations. And these are very big, complex movies to make, and they involve a lot of people. So, uh, you know, everything from what we're shooting on set to what's being designed by the visual effects department, etc., uh, so the way that we keep everybody on the same page on these movies visually is uh, we had Charlie Wood in his art department um, develop very specific drawings of every environment that were artist representations of what it would feel like, what the colors would be, what the textures would be, what the atmosphere would be like. And we had our cinematographer, Trent Oplock, work very closely in developing that in terms of what the lighting would look like, ideally, in these locations. And Dan Liu and our visual effects team would work very closely as well and give their creative input and, and bring up their concerns about what the look could be and, and how it would work in the film. So that we developed this artwork by the end of going through that process in pre-production where we had visual representations of every environment and every set. Mm-hmm. And we would bring those with us to set when we were executing, because sometimes that work was done many, many months before, uh, or even a year before, we actually shot some of this stuff. And uh, we would have it on set, we would use it as our guide as we moved through the post-production process and visual effects would start to take over. Again, we would use those drawings as our guide to what we are all trying to achieve. And we, we continue to reference those uh, drawings all the way through color timing, which is like the final visual um, tweaking that you do to mm. the film. So it was really helpful, I think, for us to sort of achieve the looks that we have in the film and a really good process to keep things consistent through um, a very elaborate process. That was close. Oh, you won. Let me just say, if aliens wind up implanting... Eggs and here we're coming on Strange Alchemy on a grander scale, which is the uh, first group fight-slash-meeting between Guardians and Avengers. 
this is an example of a lot of work with uh, stunts teams, visual effects teams, figuring out, you know, once again, once the story is firmly fixed and the script, like, how, what does all this mean on a, on a physical choreography level? Mm -hmm. People have such different powers, different, mm -hmm. you know, sets of movements that they can make. To bring them all together in a satisfying way is really a task. Everybody stay where you are, chill the F out. I'm gonna ask you this one time. A showdown. Yeah, I'll do you one better. Who's Gamora? I'll do you one better. This is where the, uh, again, absurdism smashes into um, logic, where you have the very uh, intelligent and rational, strange, and stark trying to deal with the insane guardians. But everyone's on their on their arc, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Quill is behaving this way because more has been taken from him. You'll notice a small thing. The one who claims they're Avengers is the kid who just got knighted as an Avenger. Then we got to combine... Uh, just on a plot level, the fact that Thor is alive and mm -hmm. on another mission. So that leads to, to the button of this scene. So you're not with Thanos? With Thanos? No. I'm here to kill Thanos. Remind people that Quill is from Earth, and here he is meeting Earthlings, and that's probably a new experience. You're the ones Thor told us about. Yeah. You know Thor? Yeah. Tall guy, not that good looking, needed saving. Where is he now? And back to Thor. This was uh, one of the more complex sequences in the movie to edit was where the uh, scenes with Thor went as he was building the axe to maximize his entrance into mm -hmm. the Wakanda battle. Did it have a name? Stormbreaker. Yeah, it's a bit much. We've been fortunate in the, in the movies that we've all done together is that we've always gone into production with a very tight script. Yeah. And so that the movie ends up being, you know, pretty pretty reflective. I think, right. you know, perhaps more than is normal right, mm -hmm. in films. Right. The, the movie ends up being very reflective of the script. Um, I just blanked on where I was going. Well, but part of that yeah. is, is, and in this case, you know, we the scenes changed, placement of scenes changed a lot. You know, the editing of the third act particularly, it was sort of conceived to be cut between Titan and Wakanda with yep. Thor's journey being done relatively early. We, you know, mm -hmm. perpetuated it so that it, it happened late. Um, yeah, it, one of the reasons we've previously had scripts that were in really good shape is because we had we had three years between Captain America movies. We had two years between one and two. We had two years between Winter Soldier and Civil War. Mm. And then between Civil War and this one, we had two years for two movies. Exactly. Moving... Which is not to say that the scripts were in bad shape no, no, when we went no. in. They were just weren't as yeah. weren't as beaten up yeah. as, as tight they usually as the other ones. Yeah. But yeah. in fact, but now I remember what I was going to mention was, um, you know, I think one of the things that we all learned the most in the post-production process as we, as we would screen the movie for test audiences was how to structure the movie mm -hmm. and, and throw from storyline to mm -hmm. storyline. That, mm -hmm. I would say, if anything, the yeah. intercutting between the various storylines sure. is what evolved the most in the editing process, mm -hmm. which is unusual uh, figure, for us in our past work. Figuring out how long you can be away from a character. Exactly like, like we go away from Tony 
from New York to cutting back to the ship. Mm-hmm. He's away for probably the longest amount of time Iron Man's ever been away from <laughs> from a movie Iron Man's in. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah, we always knew that would be an issue. Like, yeah, it took a long right. It took a long time to get it right and calibrate it. Uh, by the way, this is the first here. scene we shot, right? It was. Oh my gosh! Yes. The first three days of shooting, I think. Three days of shooting. So Benedict can just do that. Yeah. He can float yeah. and move his head like that. He's an extraordinary actor. <laughs> hey, what was that? But this was, you know, this was us for the first time trying to figure out the tonal, you know, composition of uh, and balance between Avengers and Guardians. Mm-hmm. And it was... Uh, yeah, you were just handed those Guardians. This is the first time you've ever mm-hmm. dealt with them. And Strange. Yeah. Of course, Strange is uh, ominous. Yeah. Prophecy. Yeah. Oh, who knew? And now, a little bit of heaviness for you. Um, so, when you get to Vormir and you get to the rules of Vormir, you're going to need an expert. You're going to need to, whoever tells you what the rule of Vormir is, you don't want to doubt it. Mm-hmm. So, that dovetailed nicely with a fetish Chris and I have about bringing <laughs> Red Skull back into the universe. So he's uh, the, Chronologically, he's the first guy, well, and cinematically, he's the first one ever to be obsessed with these Infinity Stones mm-hmm. in the MCU. And he clearly did not die at the end of uh, First Avenger. So the idea of where he might have gone is so tantalizing. And... You know, again, much like being able to fill roles that would be there anyway with a William Hurt or Benicio del Toro, we had a character who fit this moment perfectly. It extracts a terrible price. I am prepared. This is what always surprises me most about you guys is like your fluency and facility with the scope of what the MCU is because you're responsible for so much of it. It's in part that's why, but well, it is, it's been it's amazing. It's, not too many people get the opportunity. To, I mean, the MCU is a unique experiment and it, the fact that we've been there for all the phases is a privilege, but it, it also means that, yeah, we, we know where all the bodies are buried and sometimes you can dig a body up and put them in a scene. Mm-hmm. Especially when he already looks like a corpse. <laughs> I don't remember at what point do any of you that, that we conceived that the that this should be the way that you obtain the soul stone? Uh, it was early on. It was, mean, pretty it, it was early. the only way we got it, I'm pretty sure. There's no first draft was always um, an ex- you had to make an exchange like this. Well, it was also, I mean, when we began to lock into this movie being Thanos' journey and Thanos' movie, you know, he needs a dark moment. And what is a dark moment for a person who, you know, bathes in darkness all the time? It's losing the one thing he loves. And we couldn't have that be just accidental or purposeless. If if we're going to kill off a major character like Gamora, if we're going to kill off Thanos' daughter, there has to be a massive plot reason for it. And it dovetailed nicely with this one missing stone. The end of Act 2 for us is always the darkest moment, usually on a character level, but it might be on a plot level. So sort of an easy look at it would be, oh, we lost 
you know, Gamora, that's bad for the Avengers, that's bad for us as an audience member. That's not why it's the end of Act 2. It's the end of Act 2 because it's bad for Thanos. It's the worst thing that could happen to Thanos. The one person he loved more than anything is the one thing that stands in the way of him getting what he wants. So we always wanted to drive at this as, as the end of Act 2. You got what you this is all Brolin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And I was always so disappointed. Except for his, the stubble of his beard. That's our VFX department. <laughs> Fair. Boy, I would, if I was Thanos, I would not want to shave. <laughs> sure. We should Getting hold a contest over those to design a razor must be that, just that he could use. On that sack of a chin. <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying that. <laughs> my, <laughs> my eight-year-old son has said it a million times since he's seen the it's movie. It's better than the reverse. <laughs> um, big moment for Zoe, obviously. Yeah. Uh, again, second time she really gets to to be the voice of the audience and telling this guy he's wrong. One of the saddest moments in the movie for me is her reaction I to Red Skull. Skull. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's ama- what I love is, again, this character is so amazing because she's such a fighter. You know, and even in this moment where she's facing this situation, she's like, well, their first decision is to kill herself to save the universe. Yeah. But she then she doesn't hesitate. It's this moment right here. Right. But then she goes right to trying to invalidate. That's amazing Thanos. acting, the way yeah. she's processing this. She's telling us a lot in one look. No. This isn't love. This is why she gave up Vormir to save Nebula. You know, she's still looking for a way out. Right. She never stops. And Alan Silvestri's score here is it's really spectacular. It's, it's, it's tragic and oddly majestic. Well, this, it's the most operatic the movie gets, yeah. right? Bubble. Yeah, and that helps, right? You saw Bubbles, you know, oh, mm-hmm. he did the thing. He has control of reality. Yeah. He's such a son of a And that's, the, that's when she knows she's lost. There's an inevitability to the movie, not dissimilar to um, another Josh Brolin film, uh, No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. where um, you know if you, the second time you see the movie, uh, it becomes quite obvious that Thanos is going to win the film uh, at, at earlier points in the movie. We reference the snap quite a bit in the film. It's like mm-hmm. the old Hitchcock adage, you're going to bring a gun out, you better use it. Uh, if we're going to talk about the snap, well, we're going to use it. Mm-hmm. He's almost uh, unstoppable uh, in the film. He's got the strongest will. I mean, that's one of the things we always thought is that he's not dangerous because he's got the stones. It's He's dangerous because he has the, the he, will to he use He won't him. quit. It's part of the mysticism of the stone is that... Um, transported back down the mountain. Right, right. Mm-hmm. This is an image you guys always had. Uh, do you know where it came from? Todd Harris, one of oh, our storyboard it? artists. Mm. So, yeah. Came up yep. with this idea. That's cool. Transition that made it look like he had been transported somewhere else in the cosmos so and he was floating find in space. Out he's yeah. back down. The Bloodstone. 
that's a whole other Marvel series. <laughs> Here we go. This is now ramping into the third act. Right. Mm -hmm. We are uh, uh, arriving at Wakanda. That actually makes sense, though, because this moved around a lot, but mm -hmm. when you call it, you know, sort of the beginning of the third act, it, it, it's better here than it would be 20 minutes earlier. Yeah. And this, uh, this amazing city is going to come to the uh, defense of the universe. It's going to be the last stronghold. Mm -hmm. When you said we were going to open Wakanda to the rest of the world, this is not what I imagined. And what did you imagine? Led by this, uh, this man. Will there women. ever be an Olympics in Wakanda? <laughs> I'm not sure it's really something you want. <laughs> I don't think so. Plus, they're going to win everything. Right. So. T'Challa has been on a really interesting journey since Civil War. Mm. He is, and, and assuming the uh, the throne, he is faced with conflict after conflict, mm -hmm. internal strife and civil uh, civil war in his own country, and now the fate of the universe hangs in the balance. And the only thing that stands between uh, ultimate doom is uh, is Wakanda. And Bucky's hair. Look who's got a fancy arm. A vibranium arm. Life's never been better. <laughs> and the smartest uh, individual in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Shuri. The only one who could have any chance at removing the stone from uh, Vision's head and saving his life. It's also one of the things I love about Marvel is it's a population of genius scientists. You know. Yeah, they're, you know, muscle men and, and guys in armor, but it is all, the bedrock is brilliant, brilliant scientists. How long? That is a superpower. Again, the, the movie stops for no one. Mm -hmm. right. Thanos stops for no one. The moment you think you might have a taste of the solution, here comes right. the ticking clock. There. It occurs to me that uh, Falcon says that uh, there are a lot of types of situations in this third act. <laughs> we got a vision. We got a lot of situations. <laughs> it is one unfolding situation. Yeah, we got an Anthony so, Mackie situation. That's right. Of course, uh, a country as advanced as Wakanda would have a protective shield. Right. Which forces... Uh, um, well, that becomes T'Challa's decision. Everyone has a big choice to... It's not his isn't necessarily a suicidal one, but it's an incredibly dangerous one. Am I going to open up the shield? It was a chess game. And lose mm -hmm. a lot of these people, yeah. you know, in order to buy 10 more minutes for my sister. Right. To destroy that stone. Yeah. yeah. And here comes the big line. You've noticed Captain America might be missing something in this movie. <laughs> Get this man a shave. Since the la end of Civil War. It's not only given one, but two. You get this we'll man a shave. That's right. <laughs> now we're starting to ramp into, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the uh, towards the climax. We're beginning to cross-cut more. The music's carrying across the cuts. We're tying together the sequences now. The stories are starting to blend as you're moving into the third act. And you as an audience member, you think, oh, right. I see where this is going. He's going to get the thing that he says he needs to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. I see the pieces falling into place. 
the scenes are becoming complementary now. The editing is quicker, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're uh, I don't know. We're we, starting we to probably could do a diagram that, yes. that we're, the scenes are longer earlier well, on. This, the time for talking is, is past us. Now it's the time for action. Mm-hmm. And uh, Thor, um, one of the things I loved about him as a kid was the fact that he was a god and that his abilities were godlike. And uh, this is this is like the trial uh, the trials of Hercules. Right. He has to do something insanely difficult that requires an insane display of power uh, that very few people in the universe could pull off. That's one of the more charming moments for his character is that sort of childlike glee that he has. That's that he the thing, because this is Nibbler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and for a character who's lost every, and everything, yeah. all, this any, is a, any win. This is a That's right. movement back into the, his youth, his, his guardian heritage. Yeah, it's not all darkness, except when it doesn't work. Damn it. Damn it. Faulty flanges. The mechanism is crippled. What? With the iris closed, I can't heat the metal. I want to talk about uh, Dinklage and his and how you shot him, perspective-wise, and everything. Is there anything to? to yeah, I mean, it was certainly it's very complicated to uh, to change scale on uh, uh, characters um, when you uh, you know it has to do with how you orientate the camera, the lenses, uh, when you have other characters in frame, when you're working with a giant character. Yeah. Um, uh, so it was a very laborious process of matching lenses, moving, you know, Peter in for his shots, bringing him out, then moving Hemsworth in for his shots, and then changing the scale uh, of each of them. And it, uh, it, it required the most math and, and science of anything we did in the film. There's a lot of trial and error involved mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, figuring out what techniques make it look best and feel best. And, you know, so it's, sometimes these actors are required to do uh, a lot of very technical things or, and perform over and over again uh, many times because of the technical processes required to achieve the look. They're and, very patient. Yeah. It's, it's not as easy as it looks for them. So all of Wakanda is uniting. Right. Mm. Again, people come in when they're needed. So Bakum. We also said yeah. we did not know because we hadn't seen Black Panther because they were still making Black Panther about their war chants. Oh my God. And when the actors came from across Atlanta from the set of Black Panther over to ours to do this, they just started doing it. <laughs> and it was blood curdlingly cool. It yeah. Was super. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Very inspiring. And that led to so after watching Mbaku do it, yeah. Winston. At the opening, with Winston doing it at the opening of the sequence, it led to the responding war cry, the T'Challa leads mm-hmm. coming up here. As the uh, really, voice think, and face of Carrie Coons there. Yeah, and I think Winston was just trying to get, uh, we're, you were just trying to heat all the actors up, and so mm-hmm. the way they were doing that was that with was the war chant. Amazing. Was, yeah. 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 Don't do that off camera. Yeah. <laughs> Save it. They surrender? Not exactly. And here come space the outriders, the hounds. We've never told the space dog story before. What's the space dog story? Well, there was a um, focus group after one of the test screenings. Somebody was commenting on something that happened in this section of the film, and he mm-hmm. said, 
You know those uh, space dogs? <laughs> <laughs> he referred to them as space dogs. So he thought it was hilarious, so he incorporated it into Bradley Cooper's read. Now Rocket refers to them as space dogs when he's shooting at them. He's like, come on, space dogs. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They're killing themselves. So it's part of the chess match here. Uh, mm. They're going to surround the city with creatures who are uh, willing to die in order to breach the shield. And Cap just said, we don't trade lives, but now he's up against someone who does. Right. They have blood to spare. Yeah, which is awesome. And T'Challa is forced to make a uh, decision here about how they're going to handle it. Because if the Outriders do encircle the city, there's no way that the Wakandans can stop them from uh, breaching the tower that Vision is in. Again, this is all a race to destroy the stone before they can get their hands on it. All right, back up, Sam. You're going to get your wings set. War machine being war machine. Mm-hmm. Unleashing uh, an arsenal in this movie. Yeah. I think like, action scenes should define character. right? So we had a couple of beats of some, some bombs there and some Falcon stuff, but now we're being told that we're about to get surrounded so we have a character choice to make are we going to wait or are we going to invite the fight to us mm. which might more easily lead to our death than yes otherwise. and t'challa being the leader that he is right he makes a call makes the call here makes the courageous choice he knows it's going to be a great sacrifice to do this yeah. And we, like, listen, a year ahead of time, we had no idea Wakanda Forever was going to be amazing. Wakanda <laughs> Forever! Right. It's part of his chess match. He just made a move here. Picking angles that clearly demonstrate what has just happened. Here comes Captain in the front of the just, line with uh, I just love Panther. This. <laughs> well, as comic book fans, those are the moments that yeah. I live for when we make these movies. Oh. These are some angry space dogs. Mm. <laughs> but you also want to, you know, it's good to see the, the kind of brutal fighter Cap has had to become in the last three years. He's been, you know. Father's given me strength. You understand, boy? You're about to take the full force of Yeah, it's worn at him. It'll kill you. Only if I die. Vintage uh, Ragnarok Thor. Right, just a little taste of... (laughs) Vintage Dinklage as well. It took us a long time to figure out how to design uh, this Dyson Sphere and the forge and how it would work. There was a lot of uh, conceptual art created to figure it out. Kept refining the rules in post as we were developing the VFX. Hopefully it's evident that, you know, this is a forge and it needs to be opened in order for it to, to work. 
And when the doors close, they then forcibly need to be pried open again. Right. It's all in this, and again, it's if it gets too technical and it somehow takes away from character, we've screwed up. Yeah. He has to endure in order to make the thing. Mm-hmm. And it almost costs him his life. And in doing so, allows for another character to make basically the only choice he makes in the movie. Yeah. There's something very satisfying. That from here on out, Thor's axe will have a little bit of Groot in it. Oh, I, I do like that. Yeah. That that really represents this cross-pollination. Mm-hmm. The, uh, we all know, if you've seen Thor, that these weapons have a healing power for Asgardians. That's right. In the first Thor, mm-hmm. he... Uh, yeah. So that's the that's the tension here in this moment is can he get the axe in time to heal himself? We also have uh, we heard um, Peter Dinklage state that the uh, that this could conceivably uh, control the Bifrost. Right. Mm-hmm. In theory. There aren't too many other franchises where you could chop off a character's arm and make it be a heroic moment, and the other guy gets to use his arm as a handle. All is right in the universe. I wanted to work really hard here to make uh, to make this intense, so that you uh, you really felt these characters run on the run in a way that you hadn't seen before. That the that the Avengers were backs against. Yeah. Were, oh, you well, you do this to Black Panther. Them. I mean, they're yeah. ragdolled. And Cap yeah. here. Yeah, he's getting. Yeah. And favorite is the Hulkbuster. <laughs> right. They're just getting overwhelmed. Oh, right. Uh, they're outnumbered. Yeah, that's one. That's one shot that tells the whole story there. Yeah. yeah. And then perhaps the most rousing moment in the whole movie. An incredible score from Alan Silvestri combines for I think the biggest cheer moment in the film. Yeah. It's because a raccoon, a tree, and a Norse god showed up. Yeah. yeah. Thor is now on mission. Yeah. He has what he needs to win the film. We were listening to a recording made in a, in a movie theater in India during this section of the film. And when Thor shows up, it literally sounds like a rock concert. It's just like, <laughs> everyone's like, <sighs> Now, of course, Thor went to Earth on the assumption that, um, that Thanos would arrive there hmm. at some point to retrieve uh, the two stones that he knows are on Earth. But Thanos had to stop to make first his hometown. And this is the setting of the uh, Thanos's mind, the great tragedy that inspired his his holy mission that he's on. So all this wreckage is, you know, sort of the second part of a design. Of a, there's, mm-hmm. you know, you'll you'll get a chance to see Perfect Titan in a couple seconds here, and all of this is. And in, and there were drafts where we spent more time in Perfect mm-hmm. Titan, where That's we true. saw more of a backstory for Thanos. But it, in the end, this was all you really needed, and the rest was. Fairly gratuitous. Let me guess. The strange knows he's the bait. Yeah. Uh, he's hidden the stone to keep it away from Thanos with the intention that they're going to remove the glove from him. So they never want the stone anywhere near him in case they don't get to the point where they're going to remove the glove. Titan was like most planets. 
Of course, all of that goes haywire. Nice place, Titan. No, yeah. Doesn't look too crowded. Tax yeah. rates are ridiculous. I'm telling you, if I didn't kill half the people there, the place was dying. It's dying. It's That's falling. Right. Dying. Yeah, it doesn't look awful. <laughs> oh, it's, it's it's corrupt on the inside. Yeah, outside the city walls. Mm. Bad, bad scene. I'm a survivor who wants to murder trillions. With all six stones, I could simply snap my fingers. Uh, you know, by design, we hit the snap a few times to make you <laughs> make you know what's going on when you get to it. And we're also setting up here um, the final shot of the movie, so you need to you need to hopefully feel that uh, when he does um, sit on his porch and look out at a sunrise in a grateful universe, uh, he's accomplished ex exactly yeah. what he's set out to do. That's I think one of the most. Um, unnerving things about Thanos is that there is a nobility in him, you know? Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it's not ego, it's not power. Yeah. He's like, he basically looks at himself as a servant. Yeah. And when he's finished his service, he rests. The geometry of what goes into these movies, especially this film, with the amount of characters in it and the scale of the action, is, uh, is very thought out. Mm -hmm. Every frame is very thought out so that you can track the action, that you can follow what's going on in the movie. If the, if the framing were to become too stylized or dense or look at me, it detracts one from the storytelling, but also complicates how you receive the story with all of these characters and all of the different small incidents that occur over the next 30 minutes of the movie. As you can imagine, when you have a, a gauntlet that has nearly unlimited power, and every time you use it, you can do what you want, we wanted to create small physical rules that would allow people to hang in a fight with him. So the idea that he had to you know, close his fist to use a stone was the bare minimum that allowed us to have a, a fight. Mm -hmm. So that every choice they're making, you'll notice in, those last, in that last minute of fighting, is to keep him from closing his fist from Peter webbing it to uh, the cape wrapping around it. Well, well. You should have killed me. It would have been a waste of parts. No. Where's Gamora? And that's Nebula's most triumphant or heroic moment in any film up to this point. Everyone gets her moment and she stays on story because we need to know that no one was around to watch Gamora die. Now here's the plan being executed. Mm -hmm. Those are the bands of Sidorak that we decided? Those are the crimson yeah. bands yeah. of Sidorak. And everybody has a part to That's play. That's right. The best laid plans of mice and men. If only it didn't tragically line up with the revelation that uh, Thanos right. had murdered Gamora. He is very strong. Parker, help! Get over here. She can't hold him much longer. Let's go. Well, these scripts are supremely well written by Messrs. Marcus and McFeely. They are good, aren't they? 
an actor will contribute something. How that, dare you? That, uh, <laughs> for the record, this was my plan. It was a, <laughs> right. a nice contribution right. by Mr. Pratt. Where is he? He is in anguish. Good. This is some of the most amazing effects work, I think, in the whole film. Mm-hmm. It's her interaction with his head and Brolin's performance here really being translated. So on the day, Brolin is wearing a skull helmet. Wearing a strange foam headpiece yeah. that is the size of Thanos' head. Mm-hmm. So he's acting with this peculiar and Palm headpiece. is touching that. She's touching yes. that. We have a camera on his face. And you know, and he's delivering this performance. Helmet cam. And she's on she's on ropes, having been sort of lowered down (laughs) to a proxy. She's not actually sitting on. Hopefully, on this DVD, you will also have a scene that shows you the behind how we shot this, because it was extraordinary. Imagine Josh Brolin at the center of all this on yeah, set. wearing pajamas and a Thanos <laughs> helmet. It's ridiculous. <laughs> with foam yeah. all over his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, we have to put foam around his arm when they interact with his That's arms. Right. So it's Thanos' That's right. size and his chest, and so people don't get too close to him. We have to put his proper chest size around mm-hmm. his body. <laughs> This is really when you look back on it the moment all hope is lost. Because <laughs> Thanos is now angry and back on mission. This was uh, this was shown at uh, Comic-Con. Right. And uh, apparently brought the house down. So he uses two stones there. He uses the power stone to destroy the moon. And then he uses the space stone to pull it so quickly mm-hmm. to the uh, surface of Titan. Again, we're ramping up the cross-cutting here. We're starting to bleed the narratives into one another. Some fine work by Jeff Ford. Our amazing editor, who has done all of our Marvel films. Right, is is sort of a fifth member of the storytelling team. He's the space duck. By the way, that was an iconic moment from the books where Panther punches, Mm. uh, as he's known as Black Dwarf in the books, but Cull City in the movies. How much for the gun? Not for sale. And Rocket cannot resist an artificial body part. (laughs) <laughs> Strange alchemy. Facial hair bonding moment. Right, sure. Just a little. And they haven't seen each other since the end of Ultron, I think. I am Groot. I am Steve Rogers. Jokes in character. <laughs> Steve's earnestness will lead to. He's uh, very legitimately confused there. Yes, yes, as one, as would, one be. would be. Again, Wanda faced with the choice of right. love versus duty. So they, everything's doing more than one thing. So because of their experience in Edinburgh, they know that Wanda is a force to be reckoned with so that if she stayed behind to guard the stone... Their path is blocked, mm-hmm. so we need to get her out onto the field. And when she comes out and we cut to Proxima, you realize that this was not just the screenwriter's plan. This was the villain's plan, too. They mm-hmm. are not just merely throwing everything they have. They know that their goal right. 
vision is always guarded by this very powerful character. She's and then you draw, draw her, her out. out. Yeah. Right. And of course, he's not dead. Uh, it's Florence who made her first appearance. That's right. That's her third movie. Yeah. <laughs> made her first appearance uh, in a scene-stealing role um, in uh, Civil War uh, when she faces she, off. Yeah, she faces it off with Black Widow in a parking garage. Somebody get the vision! I got him. On my way. Now again, Proxima's been marking Wanda. Right. It's her job to keep her away from Vision while Corvus extracts the stone. This gets a big cheer. Yeah, mm -hmm. But unfortunately for Proxima, she's got friends. Right. Yep. And these friends know how to fight. And just to give you a touch of what these actors are actually going through. This is an incredibly hot, muddy horse field in Atlanta, or outside of Atlanta. Where they mosquitoes are and snakes yeah. and sweating and all manner of unpleasant. Paul Bettany wears one of the most restrictive and intense costumes of any of the cast. Completely painted up, his head is encased, his body's encased. And the last place you want to be is 90 degrees, 90% humidity. No! I'll screw you, you big green asshole! I'll do it myself! Come on! This is, let's talk about Banner's arc. Mm. This is an arc that makes Banner a hero and not just someone who whines for the Hulk's help yeah. all the time. Uh, Banner has to step up and solve the problem on his own. This puts him and the Hulk in a very interesting position uh, at the end of the movie. As he states there, they clearly have a lot to discuss. I thought you were a formidable machine, but you're dying. Vision gets skewered quite a bit in the movie. Yeah. He can take it. And there was a point, there was a draft where that tackle was Cap's first appearance in the movie. That's true. They he called was, us insane. Yeah, and we was, may well have Yeah, it was not satisfying. <laughs> he was he was very underground. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but that's, you know, again, speaking, to, we all, we had no model for this movie, mm. you know, when yeah. we all set out to start to make it. And it's, uh, there's, because ne never has a movie been made with this number of characters that it has required this type of narrative structure in order mm. to accommodate those numbers. So well, the there was, was a, there was yeah. a trial and error process yeah. to figuring out mm. how you fine tune this thing. That like Lancelot and John Borman's Excalibur, that Captain America shows up. Mm -hmm. the key moment in the battle for the first time to save uh, Vision. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and then uh, after we read the draft, we, we did conclude oh, we were all insane. Do I miss that? And I remember, we, he we still have, has that appearance. It just yeah. happens to be in the Edinburgh train station. Yes. We, right. we have a unique opportunity here. I mean, it's not there certainly are the movies that have done it, but we, we know we have two movies to tell character arcs, and so some characters are going to be better served in, in the second story. Um, I think it's okay to say that Cap's, Cap has a big story in the second one. And now... The Raven. <laughs> yes. Uh, Joe again. and Anne have had a peculiar obsession with The Raven. I, I loved The Raven growing up, uh, and, uh, and I wanted to see a scene in this movie where Thanos' full powers went against Doctor Strange's full powers. And The Raven you refer to is uh, Vincent Price, Boris Karloff, Yes. Is it Roger Corman? It is. Oh. And Jack Nicholson's first appearance. No. I believe it's his first appearance. Right. And this is one of the only uses of the Soul Stone in the film. Right. Right there. Until. Well, when. Yeah. It's, it's, it's final use. You never once used your greatest weapon. Now you find out that. Part of the strategy. He knows it's a fake, right? And here comes Tony. So the journey that Tony's been on as a as a genius scientist is that, you know, the evolution of his armor, this is the best it's ever going to get for Tony. And it's nanotech. Mm-hmm. He goes to the cutting edge of what his mind can deliver. And it still is not enough to beat them. And in fact barely keeps him in the fight. Right. You know, after his initial remark, uh, there's not a lot of smart aleck here. Mm. This is also earlier where you you realize this interesting parallel between between Thanos and Tony. They're both aware of something from an early early point and constantly having to deal with being smarter. Thanos is a futurist as much as as much as Tony Stark, which is why he's aware of Stark from that uh, original battle in New York mm-hmm. as the person who undid the plan. Uh, and that line, I don't want to skip it because it's one of the best lines in the movie. All that for a drop of blood mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. underscores the existential statement that the film makes: is that everything that they throw at Thanos in this movie, which is everything that they have, leads to that one drop of blood until. Of course, Thor at the end of the film. You have my respect, Stark. When I'm done, half of humanity will still be alive. And a little bit of respect from Thanos. Also, Mm -hmm. we should talk about that misdirective, you know. In terms of? uh, Tony Stark uh, getting impaled here. Right. That also is to make you believe that this could potentially be the end of, uh, of Tony Stark's journey in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In fact, well, is, uh, it, 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 it gets a reaction. It certainly, it certainly yeah. was going to be had not Doctor Strange mm-hmm. right. remember Remember, everyone had their topic sentence. So, Doctor Strange said, that "Under no circumstances, um, if it comes comes down to you, or the kid, or the Time Stone, I'm going to let you die." And then he clearly does not. He reverses um, here he And in between mm. then, he looked at 14 million futures. I should, we should also give a shout out. I, it's one of the storyboard guys, but hiding the, 
Stone in the Stars. I don't know whose it was. But it's Darren, it, I believe. It's Darren Dellinger, right? Yeah, I can't remember if that came out of storyboards or visual effects, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe oh, it was okay. Darren. I don't want to. Darren has Let's just not give credit to anybody. Ideas. I love no, that, too. I, it was, I, I've been delighted by that <laughs> for a long time now. One to go. I love that little look he gives Dot Strange. One to go. So a lot of uh, fans were upset with, with Star-Lord's choice in this movie. Oh, we mean when he reacts uh, yes, uh, upon learning that Gamora's dead. remember, yeah. He is. Oh, I, I think, think we're it, just putting characters in positions that act like humans. He's yeah, had a tough I mean, life. It's, it's utterly yeah. understandable. Yeah, yeah. emotionally. He made, he made an emotional decision. But he's also, he was prepared to kill her earlier. Yep. Thanos prevented him from doing that. And then Thanos killed her. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible knot to be tied in. Yeah. It's also a very human mistake, and I think what's interesting about narrative is you can you can learn to view things from the point of view of different people, different characters. Uh, you can learn things about life. Mm -hmm. Thor makes an equally complicated decision coming up here. Well, it's also, you know, Gamora shares a very unique problem. Like you were saying before, Chris, it's like she reveals something very specific to... Mm -hmm. To Quill, you know, he right. has in, information and understanding about her jeopardy in this movie that nobody else understands. Mm -hmm. So it becomes his job. He's like he becomes her protector at that point, right. you know, by by being invited in. It's interesting to put responsibility on him. Yeah, Thanos has so much power at this point that it is merely he's swat he's swatting the heroes like flies. Yeah, he is choosing to let it go on a little longer. And this is what Bruce Banner has been warning them about as the herald from space for the whole movie. And now it's here. Two close-ups on Wanda and Vision who both realize what they're up against. When we decided that it was going to be the snap, that meant that, working backwards, that you're, he's going to get all six stones, which means at some point he's going to get Vision's stone. And audience members know that um, but we want to give people I think William Goldman probably said uh, give the audience what they want but not in the way they expect so in order to create this crazy Romeo and Juliet type of tragedy right the idea that in order to keep the stone from him she's going to have to kill the, the man she loves was too rich an opportunity to pursue even though we needed him to get it so it gets doubly tragic towards mm. the end here there are a lot of plot twists packed into the last five yeah minutes it's it's uh, Includes her trying to murder Vision to save the universe, Thanos then restoring Vision, Thor hitting Thor, him in the chest with an axe. On the end of his journey. <laughs> yes. Could have won the movie. Finger mm. snap. We go then, into quintuplet overtime. Paul Bettany has the opportunity to have not one but two death scenes. And there's incredible performance on both Lizzie yeah. and Paul's part here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They really sell it. You could never hurt Again, sacrifice. I just feel you. 
Yeah, and again, that moment where you know all these heroes are willing to sacrifice mm. their own lives, but the threshold is to cross is when are you willing mm. to sacrifice somebody else's? And the, and the story being built through many movies. I mean, that stone in, that is in his head was in Loki's staff. She then was given her power from that stone and is now consequently the only person who can destroy that stone. He's the only one who gets around to there. Yeah, that's right. Steve. Well, if, if, if it's a movie cool. about strong wills, he's got one. Mm -hmm. Which gives him the opportunity to do this. Remember, it's in slow motion, so this is seconds that he's able to. Thanos taking him in. Thanos is, you know, amused by this. And also admires will in others. And then we get to see the full display of uh, Wanda's power here. She was created via a stone. Her powers were, came from a stone. I so wonder, it gives her the ability to stall Thanos. I wonder if... Uh, and destroy a stone. Thanos would have tried to make Kappa child of Thanos. Oh. It's been there's a, a what-if coming. There's a what-if coming, yeah. And... Again, boom. more amazing score from Alan Silvestri here. Now, in a traditional commercial ending, this could have been the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. I think we go we go past it two more times again. The humanity of Thanos. I always love this moment here where he right. acknowledges that her sacrifice it was like, was like his it's own. Creepy. Yeah, it's like such no. a I did the same thing moment. a couple in fact, hours yeah, ago. Actually, I think that he would she, he would have taken Wanda. You know. Mm. But then also, again, tying all the movies together. But now is no time. He gets to use the time, time stone, stone, just yeah. like Doctor Strange did. Now is no time at all. Again, that's part of the challenge of trying to tell the story. You've got such powerful MacGuffins. How do you keep them off the table reasonably, and then how do you use them in, in fresh ways? And, and in this essential case, sort of ways. Devastating so ways, yeah. They're not just... Not just showing off, but making them, making so it so the movie wouldn't have happened had they not done that. There's a great stunt here, that body. Yeah. Oof. There's a lot of painful moments stacked together here. Mm. Watching Vision die twice. We did want there to be a physical toll to having all those, all those stones together, all that power coursing through you. Yeah. Look at how powerful this axe is. Yeah. So the, the man who made the, uh, tree. the, the gauntlet and the axe. Yeah provided Thor with the weapon that could defeat the gauntlets. The Thanos killing kind. I told you. 
unfortunately, he didn't go for the head. Well, and that's the thing is, particularly it, sad. Was this here. a small misstep on Thor's part? That's right. To take this moment right. of revenge. That's right. But very human and understandable. Had he killed him quicker? And as as monumental as this moment is in cinema, my primary memory is Josh Brolin with a huge chess piece that made him look like one of the Fruit of the Loom guys, <laughs> with then a huge foam axe stuck in his chest. Yeah. <laughs> and an That's often a, discussed beat. Do are we committing to it being Soul World? It, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Thanos is transported through the power uh, that was uh, needed or required to wipe out half the life in the universe into this dream state inside the soul stone. And he has allowed one last meeting with that which he gave up to get there. The spiritual representation of, of his daughter. It's a, it's a fever dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it a fever dream? Is it is it part of storytelling? Is it a plot? Mm. Does she exist inside that stone? Does this exist in his mind? It's, it's the freedom you have when you've made yeah. 18 movies prior to this. It's just so valuable for him as a character, though. Like, oh. you know, he's in the next couple minutes, he goes through uh, some sort of palpable. Yeah. Regret, and then by the time he gets to the porch, I think he's. Because when your villain wins, I don't want evil cackling. I want to know the cost. See there with his gauntlet in the arm, the power that it takes to use all six stones is significant, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, clearly damaged the gauntlet and damaged Thanos permanently. And I love the growing disbelief here from Evans. We always knew we wanted to play past the snap because mm-hmm. the snap is just ending the movie on a plot trick. This right. is ending the movie uh, on emotion. It's a horror film having to watch right. each oh, of these if characters. If we ended on the snap, I would argue that it's a cliffhanger, but yeah. I, I would say it's it's not a cliffhanger. No, it's oh, a tragedy. It's a tragedy because yeah. the, the villain wins. It has an ending. It's just, it's just not an ending that people are used to. I exactly. Mm-hmm. Thanos exactly. set out to save the universe and right. the movie's over when he mm-hmm. does. Captain right. America has never right. outright lost... He has laid down everything he can and eked out of victory, and he cannot do it here. This moment I love. Denai's performance here is so fantastic. It's, you know, her whole her whole mission is to keep the king safe. And that's the first time somebody who well, there's that, and it's also a lead character. Who just had his franchise blow up, yeah. and and th- this is this is not going to be secondary players, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What was interesting there is that you know not only is it the horror of who goes, who 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 disappears in this random act of mm-hmm. violence, but how the people who are left behind feel. Well, and that's what that's what I, even if somehow you scratch that, um, I don't get sad when sad things happen nearly as much as I get sad when I watch people like Denai yeah. reacting to sad things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as Anne said, that her whole mission in life is to protect the king, and the king has disappeared in her arms. Yeah. And then you remember, oh, we have even more beloved heroes up in space. Mm-hmm. Quill is such a tragic figure in this movie. He suffered so much yeah. uh, in the film, and now he has to watch 
parts of his family go in front of him before he goes. A lot of pain in him as a character. A lot, a lot of who he is has been defined by pain. Mm -hmm. There was no other way. I mean, all these characters lose things. That's sort of how they become our heroes. I can look at every person on the screen and tell you what they lost before they got to this point. I don't feel so and here you go. Hi. You're alright. I don't. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. You know, Tony starts the movie talking about the possibility of having a child and effectively loses one at the end. If I remember correctly, right, he was, I don't feel so good. Tony looked at him and said, I'm sorry, and disappeared. Yeah. And then the it day, wasn't as drawn out like this. he yeah. kept driving to put more and more emotion into it. Yeah. And just went up to Tom and said, you don't want to go. That's it's your child. Yeah. This is, uh, and you're using your, your strength. As, as Spider-Man to fight this. Uh, and then that was the performance that came out. Uh, it was pretty pretty spectacular yeah. performance for a 21-year-old actor. And this is a, a colossal loss for, for Tony. Mm -hmm. Is that the, you know, as snarky as his relationship is with Peter Parker, uh, he cares deeply about him. And uh, to have him die in his arms is... Um, will change him forever. Certainly Thor could have uh, a lot of guilt about mm -hmm. uh, his He's actions moving forward. He just went on the ultimate hero's journey and it didn't work. And here, here's the end of the hero's journey. I always mm. love the symmetry of uh, Loki's "You will never be a god." Too. And then Steve saying, "Oh God!" Kept yeah, it's always the last line of the movie. Again, yeah. for our eagle-eyed viewers, you'll see to the right there, a scarecrow oh. made of Thanos' armor. Oh, I never saw that. That uh, that is an homage. I really got to see this in IMAX. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. It's a very complicated performance from Brolin. It is, you know, yeah. it's it's like there's a certain sense of relief for him that he can rest, but there's tragedy. And and the little score is very moving. Hint of it's pride, not necessarily yeah. sad. Yes, yeah, satisfaction. Well, Ouch. There you go. There's your kick in the nuts. Yeah. Sorry about that. Well. There's another one coming. These are, these are all the next time. These are all the wonderful people that brought you that kick in the nuts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she kicked you in the nuts. Oh yeah, they, oh, definitely, they definitely kicked, kicked you in the nuts. <laughs> Part of the the difficulty in uh, cinematic universes and serialized storytelling is how do you differentiate? Mm -hmm. And the choice in this movie, which I think was a very bold choice, and everybody really. Um, to everyone's credit, uh, from Marvel to Disney, really embraced the choice of ending a commercial movie in, in the most tragic and sad way that you could possibly end it. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's been a long time, I think, since we've seen a film on the scale where the heroes lost. I mean, mm -hmm. we point to Empire Strikes Back a lot. That was seminal for us. I was 10 mm -hmm. years old and watched it 
you know, yeah. six, seven times that summer. Yeah. Um, well, and it's the that it's that resonance, and I think that you know there are things that you can deal with in in fantasy that you can't deal with in real life. We live in a very complicated world right now. There's a complicated movie, and sometimes villains win. Uh, and uh, and I think that you know, in storytelling, as important as satisfying ending can be, it's also very important that there are times in your life where you go through emotional catharsis in mm -hmm. a movie theater, mm -hmm. watching a narrative. Uh, that that allows you to grieve for things in your life that you can't face or you know or don't want yeah. to face. As far as hard as it is to have a villain win in on a, in a movie, it's much harder in real life. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. And sometimes movies can help you with that. Yeah. Uh, do we have a record for credit scene we, length? We I'm, must. I'm I dying think. to find like, out. Well, who's in the, who's in the top ten? <laughs> here. Yeah. It is amazingly long. You can there's there's a long range of activities you can engage in, yes, uh, during the, during the run of this credits. And some amazing names, Oscar winners and Oscar nominated actors and actresses as, as day players in this film. Yeah. It's really a credit to Sarah Finn, mm -hmm. who's cast all of the Marvel Universe movies. This is truly one of the greatest casts ever assembled for uh, serialized uh, storytelling. Mm -hmm. And to our amazing crew now, you'll see there are mm -hmm. thousands of names uh, in this crew list. And a movie like this is not accomplishable right. without every single person that is recognized here. These are truly collaborative efforts. They require everyone working in concert together in support of one goal, which is telling the best story possible, making the best movie possible. And um, we couldn't have made it through all four of these Marvel films without all of the people listed yeah, Much here. of this uh, group has been together for yeah. for four movies. Um, and put in a year and a half in Atlanta just making this movie every day like a lifestyle more than a job. Yeah. I did get a credit. I didn't realize that. <laughs> what, what's your character called? Well, I think I'm more than Ross's aide, but, you know, I'll, I'll live with it for now. I, don't I think know. Ross would be nothing without you. Uh, there's Except, Terry Notary's name, by the right. way, who's one of the foremost movement experts in the world. That's right. Who uh, not only played Club Obsidian, but was the uh, movement advisor to everyone who worked in CG mm -hmm. in the movie, mm -hmm. especially and including Josh Brolin. And a memorable day where he played Doctor Strange's cape. That's right. <laughs> and did it. He became a cape. Right. I defy you. One of the most amazing things about these credits is that if you look through them long enough, you will eventually find your own name. <laughs> That's right. I think I see the soul stone. <laughs> we named every human on Earth. Mm. I, but I honestly think it has to be a record because even if you want to go back to Gone with the Wind or Lawrence of Arabia, they, we have whole departments that did not exist then. Mm -hmm. yeah, frankly, right. the biggest departments. Right. Um, well, VFX, I mean, alone, I think we used, you know, every major VFX company in the world uh, as involved in this movie in some way. Um, I think we had upwards of 15 to 20 vendors working on the movie mm -hmm. um, uh, and thousands of shots. Is arguably the biggest workload in, in VFX history, mm -hmm. uh, accomplished by uh, by Dan DeLue, yeah, and and his team of incredible people: Victoria Alonzo, who uh, Victoria Alonzo, who um, helps uh, or delivered all of these films, yeah. uh, most insane undertaking, I think, of anyone in in in, in movies. Um, uh, in many decades, 
uh, the way that she uh, delivers these films and how much work goes into delivering these films and the VFX in these films and the post-production and the score. And they've done 18 of these in yeah. a decade. And they'll be 22 by next year. They're, one of my favorite things about sitting through the screenings is, uh, you know, when the, when the single credit cards end and this credit roll begins, you know, audiences have become accustomed to that being a traditional spot in a Marvel movie where a, a, a tag shows up. And when there is none there, you sometimes get a visible gasp yeah. mm-hmm. or, or an audible gasp from the audience. <gasps> but that's dazzling. by design. I mean, we talked about that. Did you, um, the idea that we wanted audiences to really sit with this ending, we assumed or hoped they wouldn't walk out until the very end, mm-hmm. so that now you're sitting in a darkened room with a couple hundred other strangers dealing with what you just saw, and hopefully you were surprised and you're mm. a little hurt. And I know there are you know, 10 and 12 year olds all around me who were really misty and, and sobbing up. And so we won't give you any hope until the very end and give you just the briefest little mm. taste of what might be to come. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah, part of, of our, our commitment of it, to right? the um, yeah. commitment to it. Yeah. That's right. Don't take it away so quickly. Yeah. I would like to go to the bathroom, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't. There you can't. might be a You dad. owe Ken Rupinian <laughs> Again, your I was respect. talking about, somebody told me their grandmother, uh, they, they were talking to their, on the phone to their grandmother, and their gra- grandmother adjusting the movie. And the grandmother was like, now, whatever you do, make sure you stay around to the very end. I mean, the very end, after all the credits, <laughs> don't leave. It's a testament to Marvel, Dave. They've yeah. trained segments of the audience that the, the movie's not over yet. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it is a staggering amount of human beings who get together to make a movie like this. That is... Yeah. I think more people made it than watched it. <laughs> each, each one of these visual effects houses was responsible for different aspects of the film. Uh, Digital Domain was responsible for uh, Thanos. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Weta was responsible for the fight on Titan. Uh, ILM was responsible for the fight on Wakanda. So you have to take large chunks of the movie and parse them out to each company because the workload is so significant. They're each dealing with hundreds of shots, and shots can take months, if yeah. not a year, to execute. Uh, so there's a lot of the large-scale shots in this movie that need to be delivered a you know, to the vendors a year before the movie comes out. I was sitting through the credits and my eight-year-old said, Dad, do you know all these people? <laughs> I was like, like, the boss of every one of some them. them. <clears throat> the iterative process behind VFX, too, is that, you know, they will create what we call a, uh, a blocking pass, where we'll just see the most loose animation of the blocking for the shot. Once we sign off on the blocking of the animation, they then proceed to, you know, uh, baking the shot and baking in the, you know, the lighting and the texture and the photorealism, which could take uh, many, many weeks. So we have to uh, approve animation, uh, which can take several passes. And then once we approve animation, they start baking in uh, all those elements I talked about. We then sit there and review uh, each shot as it comes in and give comments about the lighting or the photorealism 
or the you know, color saturation. And then uh, the passes are done on those shots over many, many weeks uh, until we, uh, we have to deliver the movie. You can see there, we used a, a bit of Ludwig Göransson's incredible score from uh, Black Panther. Ludwig is a, it's an old friend of ours from Community uh, and Happy Endings. Um, he scored uh, a Community and uh, and Happy Endings for us. But other than that, Rubber Band Man, it's all yeah. Sylvester. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a... Ludwig is also um, creative partners with. Uh, Childish Gambino, who he right, also right, met, yeah. and uh, he uh, he produces his uh, music. And here we go. You finally get your respite. Yeah. Along with a little more tragedy. Again, scenes do more than one thing, right? So it reminds you that, yes, this happened everywhere, not just on Wakanda or Titan. Not this just event the heroes. Is, is, is everywhere. And um, give you a little sense of... of uh, Nick Fury and Maria. Oh, That's right. Still out there somewhere. I haven't seen them in a while. Fighting these, a good fight. These movies are at their best when you're cross-pollinating genres, and uh, and I think this movie in particular was very unique in that it, it incorporates a lot of different right. uh, movies into one movie, and certainly once he snaps his fingers, it becomes a horror film. Right. Because well, you're, you're also talking about, you're handheld here, yes. so you're a little bit more like Winter Soldier and much of Civil War. Yeah, you know this feels. We're trying to be in their point of view. Mm-hmm. We're trying to make this feel as realistic as possible. We knew we wanted to orchestrate it all in a wonder. Is it a wonder? Uh, from the time they exit the car. Oh, it yeah. is. Okay. So it's all happening real time for you because there's a ticking clock here. What's going to happen? What is Nick Fury going to do? Right. He's going to say, say mother. Motherfucker. It, it was too easy not to do. Yeah. <laughs> And what is that, this uh, machine? You know, and we must have shot. We must have done this shot at least a dozen times on set. It was a long shot. The push in, mm-hmm. and every single time we got to the last, you know, Nick Fury, of course, said the full. Mm-hmm. Sam Jackson said the full line uh, mm-hmm. for that last line every time, and every time, the everybody on set would just, just lose just it chuckle. every yeah. single time. Cheer, and of course, that symbol you just saw right. may or may not mean help is on the way. Well, obviously, Thanos is returning. Mm. Spoiler alert. Thank that you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Hope you we'll enjoyed see you in a year. See you next yeah. year. <laughs>